Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. And now we're ready to roll. Fan Midday Show. Brendan King with you from the DriveHubler.com studio. We are with a very special guest and co-host for the next couple of days. This should be a lot of fun. A WIBC alum himself and a guy that you've heard over the years through the NASCAR circuits and FS1 doing college hoops. It's Vince Welch with us in the studio. What's up, Vince? Man, it is so good to be here. And uh, I got to tell you, I pulled in that garage. It took me back about 20 years. Uh, <laughs> I wish I would have felt 20 years younger when I rolled through here, but uh, it's uh, brought back a lot of memories and uh, listened to you guys all the time. So great to be back. Love sitting in the seat and being able to talk sports with you guys and those that uh, are listening. So uh, let's enjoy it for a couple of days. Yeah, we were talking about it before the show, and Jimmy Cook's here as well. Jimmy spinning the dials here today and tomorrow. Is that right, Jay Cook? Indeed it is. Love it. BK, Vince Welch, Jay Cook with you in studio for 48 hours here. We'll look forward to it very much. So you, Vince, got to see the initial opening of this building, which is kind of wild to think about because I was an intern here in 16. Jimmy got here shortly after that. So we're still relatively new to the circuit, but you literally saw the opening. I have have shoes older than you guys. That's how I I was going to say that's how old I am. That's how young you are. So, but that's a good thing. But uh, I think that makes for a nice mix of what we'll have here uh, over the course of the next couple of days. But when this building first opened, we used to be up at like 96th and Meridian for those that, uh, may remember those days back way back when and uh this building opened up under the ms banner and we moved everything from north meridian down here downtown and it was uh, the taj mahal of broadcast facilities and i can remember people from all around the country that would come in and do you know shows here in the various studios just amazed at how beautiful uh, this building and this facility is from floor to floor and and nothing's changed i mean it's still still pristine still looks great and uh, a lot of good works come out of here through the years it's like the media version of the colts coming from baltimore to indianapolis you you pack it up one day and you and you head to somewhere new that's awesome well and there are some that would like to send them back yeah, i mean they <laughs> they need to get it together and uh, this is i think uh, this upcoming draft and where we are right now with the coaching search and and uh, what they decide and what direction they decide to go I really think is a a real pivotal point in the franchise's history because if you don't do it right this time you're going to set yourself back significantly if they go with the quarterback in that number just say they stay at number four and they go with the quarterback and just imagine for a moment if that doesn't work if that's not the guy what position are they in moving forward? And we're not talking about that's not a setback this year or next year or two years. If you draft a guy at number four, he is your guy that you're making a commitment to. And if that ends up not being the guy, and history shows it's a little bit of a crapshoot, right? I mean, there are guys that have been taken high up in the draft as a quarterback and didn't make it, wasn't the guy. If that's the case how far that sets back your franchise. So it's imperative that they make the right pick with this number four choice. 
and I, I got to tell you, I'm not sure when I look at this quarterback group, I'm not convinced that there is the guy mm. in there. And obviously, there's a lot of pressure on Ballard to make the selection of a quarterback with that pick. And I, I just don't know. We're going to have Mike Chappell on a little bit later today. And I, I just would be curious, if you don't think there's that guy available, is there a veteran that you can stop? Because if you take the quarterback at number four and he doesn't work out, you've not only lost that position, but you've also missed out on a potential game changer at a different position that you could have picked at number four. So um, it's a complicated spot. I mean, I, I don't think it's as cut and dried as people would think in regards to the quarterback because I just don't know if that guy is there in this quarterback class. Well, Vince, there's so many moving parts, too, when you look at the process because do you even draft number four? Does Ballard want to move up? Is the number one pick available from the Chicago Bears? For example, Mark Dykton, producer from The Morning Show, tweeted out last night, somebody has a mock draft, and there's a million mock drafts, so you can look at, anybody's and who knows what's going to happen i mean everybody makes a mock draft now but this one it has indianapolis trading up to the first overall pick trading with chicago multiple picks maybe a player or two to select will levis from kentucky who everybody seems to be falling in love with now there have been multiple opinions on this show by a whole wealth of voices personally i'm a fan of bryce young others have been fans of cj stroud but as you said even if you draft the qb is he starting right away? Do you have to bring in a filler quarterback? Is Sam Ellinger possibly a guy that you keep on the roster? We didn't know that to end the season because you started him too late. And then the enormous question, Vince, who's the coach? Who's going to be coaching this guy up? Is it a defensive head coach? They're going to have to hire an offensive coordinator to help this new quarterback. So it's not you pick your guy and it's plug and play and you're good to go. There are four, five, six decisions that have to go along with this in order to work. Well, and I think the pressure behind the scenes is maybe as great as it's ever been because of all of the things that have happened in the last couple of years, right? And then Ballard kind of being over overruled by Ursay on a couple of different decisions. What's Ballard's position and the strength of it? But if you, again, say you do trade up to number one and you make that pick of the quarterback and he doesn't work out to be your long-term placeholder of that position then you have just wasted not to mention the number one pick but what you have traded up right you have traded away to move up i mean that's not coming cheap and um i i wouldn't do it i would not trade up for that because i number one i don't think in my opinion it's hard to tell because they haven't started doing their pro days yet when they start doing that, I think we'll get a little better in, in, indication. Maybe one of these other guys from lower down the quarterback list that you know haven't been mentioned with Young and Stroud and Levis. Maybe somebody else emerges. But also keep this in mind. These guys are expert talent evaluators, right? All Every team in the league. Everybody. Everybody is an expert because that's what they get paid to do. They're expert talent evaluators. Yet, how do they miss so often? <laughs> right. How do they miss on Brock Purdy? Every team in the league missed on Brock Purdy. And now he's the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers and looks like, I mean, this guy looks like a veteran, right? So the guys are out there. How do you know? How do you miss that big? 32 teams. Mm -hmm. 
expert evaluators. So if you, if they've missed on that situation, then you better believe they can miss at spot one, two, three, four, and five. I mean, we've seen it. It's happened before. So it's not a simple, you're not a guaranteed because you take one of those three guys that he's going to be the guy that you think he is, the guy that pans out to lead your team for 10 or 12 years. I don't see a Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, uh, you know, I, I don't see that guy in the draft. Maybe that changes uh, over the course of the next uh, couple of months before draft time rolls around, but I, I don't see it. I think it's a big it's a big chance. Well, there's gonna, there's going to be no shortage of storylines when you get to the NFL Combine here in town. And let's say hypothetically, the Colts do decide to trade. Could you imagine the NFL Combine being here with the Colts having the number one overall pick? I mean, that story eats itself up. And then it's fascinating as well, Vince. You bring up the 49ers going to the NFC Championship with Mr. Irrelevant. Well, they're in the complete opposite direction of the Colts. They have three quarterbacks. Two of them, they probably don't know what to do with because Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to be the backup to start this year. Then he became the starter. Trey Lance got hurt. Trey Lance was the early round pick that was supposed to be the phenom. And now it's the seventh round pick that's leading the charge in San Francisco. The Colts can't find a single guy to work, whether that's the shuffle of Carson Wentz and Philip Rivers and Matt Ryan or Nick Foles and Sam Ellinger. Just the complete difference from Indianapolis to San Francisco. And maybe it's because it's been mentioned on the show, you know, San Francisco in many people's minds, they have more weapons than the Ottoman Empire Mm. to to be able to throw to. And maybe that helps Brock Purdy a little bit. But back to the original point, Vince, even if the Colts hit the quarterback right, even if the Colts get the coach right, you know, is Jonathan Taylor getting back to his normal form next year? What's the wide receiver room going to be like? Does Alec Pierce take a step? Does Michael Pittman become that true number one? What are they going to do with the skill position weapons? They got to build around whoever comes in. Well, they've got the Colts have too many needs. Yes. So on both sides of the ball, is, too. Is there a possibility that the Colts would look at one of these veteran quarterbacks? Has the stopgap? Has the stopgap failed so miserably that they refuse to look at the veteran quarterback option, draft a quarterback in the second or third round, somebody that falls back? And I mean, just hypothetically, yeah. say they make a run at Derek Carr. Sure. Young enough, old enough, say they, they make the run at him and they draft a quarterback second or third round and use that number four pick for something they really need in one of those other areas. I mean, they have significant enough needs. Edge rusher, offensive lineman, receiver. I mean, spin the wheel and and make a choice, (laughs) right? right? I mean, they've got enough needs that they could get a game-changing player at a different position other than quarterback with the number four pick. But there's been so much attention placed on on the quarterback situation do they are they are they backed into the corner? Do they feel like they have to select a quarterback with that top five pick? I don't know. I would evaluate. Just like Ballard said in the press conference, we're going to look at everybody. Mm-hmm. So they're interviewing what 13, 14 different guys. I think have been on the list of interviews. They, D'Amico Ryan's hasn't interviewed yet. I think he'd be the fourteenth. So he doesn't want to miss something. You know, they think they know what they want, but they're going to interview them all because they want to make sure somebody doesn't slip through the cracks. 
Well, you still have to evaluate that call then at number four, too. Do you consider, yes, a quarterback seems like the obvious choice, but do you consider your options all the way around? And I think that's what a good GM and a good staff does in that position. You're going to have to, and that's why we're going to talk with Dan Duggan from The Athletic, the New York Giants beat writer. He'll be with us here bottom of the hour at 1230 because the Colts have interviewed both offensive coordinator Mike Kafka and defensive coordinator Wink Martindale for the head coaching job here in Indy. And by the way, the Houston Texans seem to value Mike Kafka as well. He seems to be the next great offensive coordinator, young mind on the rise because the Texans have already interviewed Mike Kafka two times. And of course, the Texans are also in business for a young quarterback. So we'll have to see what happens there. Dan Duggan from The Athletic with us at 1230. Chris Denary will hop on at 1 to talk some Pacers and Bulls tonight. Coverage on the fan at 630. We'll continue the Colts conversation at 2 with Mike Chappell and David Eha from the Ball State Cardinals Basketball Radio Network, former Cardinal. At 2.30, he'll jump on. That was a guest booked by Vince Welch, who is with us here in studio today and tomorrow. Go ahead, well, Vince. I'm a Ball State guy, so I take a particular interest in Ball State. But what I think they've got a really cool story working there with the coach, Mike Lewis. Played his high school ball at Jasper. Of course, college basketball at IU. He's made a couple of stops on the assistant trail. Was at Butler for a drink of water at UCLA. And he has changed the culture. We're in just year one certainly working on changing the culture of Ball State basketball. And it's been a long time since Ball State was relevant uh, in in the college basketball ranks. Um, you guys don't remember, but at one time, Ball State was in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. uh, and was a player, took UNLV right to the wire during that great era of UNLV basketball. So can Ball State get back there? Can you got to win the MAC tournament to get into the uh, NCAA in most instances uh, now. So you've got to really change the culture of that program there. And Michael Lewis is bringing a lot of IU intensity uh, from his time at Indiana. I think when you saw his play uh, at Indiana for Bob Knight and what uh, and that style, uh, you're seeing that from Michael Lewis in Muncie. And it's changing things. And they're playing a lot better basketball. And they've got a big game tonight against Buffalo. So we'll talk with David Ehaw a little bit about he Because he's been around a long time. He's seen the different coaches. What is the culture? What is Michael Lewis bringing to Ball State? And, and then anytime you have a coach that has success at the MAC level or a mid-major level, the big boys are knocking on the door pretty soon thereafter. So is this a quick stop for Michael Lewis? Certainly those at Ball State hope not. But at the same time, if you're successful, you know that's part of the program. Well, we've had Coach Lou on this show now a few times, and yeah. he was an assistant at Butler my yeah. freshman and sophomore year yeah. before I believe he went to Nebraska and then obviously UCLA and did what he did here in Indianapolis during the NCAA tournament that was held here. Yeah. So, I mean, if there's anybody that is that has the program in the right hands, it's Coach Lou. And I was listening to John yesterday. He had Jake Query on for the morning show, and Jake and John were reminiscing about how – you know, at one time here in the state of Indiana, you were usually seeing three, four, five teams from this state in the NCAA tournament. Of recent years, it's really been IU and Purdue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to get back to the days of seeing the Boilers, the Hoosiers, but throw Butler in there, throw Notre Dame back in there. Of course, Mike Bray Valparaiso. is Valparaiso, yep. Ball State. I mean, yeah. Indiana State got off to a fabulous start this year. Yeah. They've cooled off a little bit, but I mean... When Vince, the NCAA tournament was here alone, 
the only team that was in that tournament from the state of Indiana was Purdue. And that was a bit of a buzzkill when you thought like, oh man, like could Indiana play in their own facility in the yeah. NCAA tournament? Could Butler play in Hinkle Fieldhouse in the NCAA tournament? Of course, that didn't happen. But when you get back to those days here in this state, you've been around here a lot longer than I have. I mean, that's got to be a pretty darn good feeling. Yeah, and uh, Indiana basketball, I mean, that's what it's all about. And you need the rest of those teams to to step up, continue to develop. And it's all cyclical. I mean, some are going to be, some years are going to be better than others, coaching staffs, et cetera. But, uh, you know, you mentioned we a little bit about Purdue and the Boilermakers back to the number one ranking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only Big Ten team, and Jimmy, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, the only Big Ten team in the top 25. I mean, I can remember when there would be five or six Big Ten teams Nuts. in the top 25, and now you have just one at Purdue. Um, the Boilermakers ranked number one. They'll play Thursday at Michigan, Sunday against Michigan State. Speaking of Michigan State, huge win for Indiana. I thought that win for Indiana and Mike Woodson over Michigan State uh, over the weekend was a huge win for Woodson. Even though Mike Woodson's an older guy, he's been around, he's coached in the NBA. When you beat the legends like Izzo, um, it matters. And that was a big game, I thought, for any because Mike Woodson, from a coaching standpoint, there's still some people out there that aren't convinced. I mean, it's been a, it's been a small body of work, okay, right? I mean, he, but. Did he get them turned around last year, pointed in the right direction? Absolutely. Are they, they won, they had a great win at Xavier, lost a couple that maybe they had, shouldn't have lost. Obviously, they've got the injuries to Race Thompson and Xavier Johnson. But I, I think the jury's still out on Woodson. It, it is for me. So that was a huge win, I thought, for Indiana. Much needed to beat Michigan State at Assembly Hall. And, and Tom Izzo, now they got an opportunity at Minnesota on Wednesday. Minnesota's mm-hmm. lost three in a row. Uh, then they've got Ohio State Saturday at Assembly Hall. Uh, certainly uh, a beatable team. So Indiana's got an opportunity to generate a little momentum here coming up uh, on the weekend. Well, Vince, you've called college basketball for a long time. When you lose three straight conference games, yeah. even the best team has a hard time coming back from that. You, especially Iowa, Northwestern, and Penn State, you rattle off wins against Wisconsin at Illinois. Yeah, tough place to play in Champaign. And, and then Michigan State. Yeah. You mentioned the Minnesota game. Jimmy and I were talking about this yesterday. After Minnesota, it's a three-game stretch where you have to play Chris Holtman, Kevin Willard, and Matt Painter. Mm. I mean, that's that's just murderer's row, Vince. Yeah. That's the Big Ten. Though. That's Big Ten. I yeah. mean, it, there are no easy games in the best conferences you know i mean even in the big east we see you know with the butlers in you're a butler guy i mean there may be uh, there's a couple of teams at the bottom that may be and you hope butler's not one of them that may you look at and go that's kind of an easy mark in the big 10 there aren't you know i mean used to be northwestern i watched that northwestern wisconsin game last night i mean northwestern was balling so uh there are no easy marks in the big 10 and that's why every game matters you know if you win by one at home and someone's out well hey it was a big 10 game you take them any way you can get them and um so i I thought the the purdue win over maryland even though they were at purdue was at home only one by three still a great win when you're number one in the country i know purdue was i think third at the time but you're getting everybody's best shot and that every win in conference play is a good win speaking of that let me just the 
I know we don't talk a lot of IU women. I don't uh, women's yeah. basketball. Don't hear a lot of women's basketball. Terry Moran's killing. I get it. But Terry Moran, that killing win it. last uh, Indiana beat Michigan in Ann Arbor last night, ninety two eighty three. Indiana's women eighteen and one, the greatest, uh, the best start uh, for IU women's basketball in program history. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they'll play uh, Ohio State, which is ranked number two in the country. Indiana's women. Terry Moran, the winningest coach. In IU women's history, mm-hmm. and uh, they're ranked sixth in the country. They'll play number two Ohio State uh, on the Big Ten Network on Thursday. So, man, I watched some of that game last night. That IU women against uh, women's game against Michigan, it was good brand of basketball. I mean, they are playing at a very, very high level. And if you haven't checked it out, if you just like hoops, it doesn't matter if it's men's or women's. They are playing really, really good basketball. So encourage you to check that out. Thursday is going to be a huge game at Assembly Hall, IU at Ohio State on the women's side. And that's, uh, again, on the Big Ten Network. They're, they're dynamic. Their passing is crisp. Everybody seemingly gets a touch on every possession. They have a great coach. You mentioned Terry Moore. And I had a chance to do Butler and IU last year on the women's side. It was at Hinkle, awesome, yeah. I mean, big crowd, and met Terry Morin for the first time. It was like you knew her for 15 years. Yeah, uh, she she is that type of individual where she gets her players to buy in, and sometimes, Vince, that's that's half the battle oh, yeah, with, I, with college athletes. Man, I'll tell get, you. Getting an entire team to buy in, how many times have you seen it that a team has been disconnected just off the bat? I, I think it's it's the key at every level. Right. I mean, the pace, you know, you want to talk Pacers, Colt, you know, whatever, you if you don't buy in, then you're just a fractured group and that group's not going anywhere. And certainly we've seen that with the IU women. And and uh, as you said, Coach Warren's done a great job. McKinsey, uh, McKinsey Holmes at 25 and 10 last night, her ninth double-double of the season. Really good. They've just got a lot of talent and they play, I agree with you, a very uh, easy to watch brand of basketball and, you know, kind of the Indiana way from, and I don't mean Indiana university. I mean, just kind of the way we as Hoosiers, uh, people from Indiana like to think that we play basketball. You know, we're, we're a little high and mighty about our game of basketball our knowledge of the game, the way we play it from the state of Indiana. What's the old saying in 49 States? It's, uh, you know, just basketball, it's just basketball. Uh, but they do play the right. A lot of different touches. They shoot the ball. In fact, I, I told my wife we were watching last night, I said, the IU men need a couple of these shooters <laughs> because they were shooting the ball very well from three-point range. So a lot of fun uh, to watch, and I and, uh, just wanted to give them a shout-out. I do, Vince, before we toss it to break again, Dan Duggan coming up here at 1230. I do want to get your thoughts on the Pacers, who host the Bulls tonight at Gamebridge. 7 o'clock tip, 630 coverage here on 107.5 The Fan. Seven-game losing streak. It's kind of funny. Jimmy and I have been talking about it, that the Pacers are stuck at 23 wins. Their preseason over-under was 23-and-a-half, and and they have lost seven (laughs) straight trying to clinch that bet for a lot of people. I still think Uh, they're going to get at least one more. I I do hope so. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton continues to battle back from injury. Jeremiah Johnson was tweeting that Tyrese was getting some shots up and looks to be getting better. But seemingly, the Pacers, without their closer, they're missing a significant piece, of course. Yeah, but what I don't like about that is that when you've seen them play other teams, the Suns the other night, mm-hmm. what, Saturday night, mm-hmm. I think it was, in Phoenix, missing several players, Suns beat the Pacers. Uh, Giannis didn't play when the Pacers played Milwaukee. Bucks still managed to win. Uh, the Grizzlies were shorthanded, still managed to win. When you are without your guy, you still got to go out and win. And the one thing, and I'll be interested to talk to Denary about this when we have him on, 
who's going to be the guy that's going to step up? Yeah. Because just because Halliburton is out doesn't mean that you put your tail between your legs and you lose seven in a row. I mean, somebody, it's when one guy goes out, it's an opportunity for somebody else to step in and, and show themselves worthy of being the guy. Who is it? You know, who's going to take them and lead them? You'd like to think that's Turner. Uh, Heal has been around long enough. Uh, Matherin is just a, a rookie, so you can't really expect him to do that. But there's got to be somebody that when Halliburton goes down, that still takes them to the win column. And we just haven't seen it yet. We'll get the answers to those questions and more. Great show. Vince Welch, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook in the DriveHealer.com studios. Coming up next, Dan Duggan from The Athletic. He writes for the New York Giants. The Colts seem to be interested in the Giants. Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale have each interviewed for the Colts. Head coaching job. We'll get the lowdown on those two and more from Dan next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Great to have you back with us on this Tuesday morning from Indianapolis. Brandon King, I'm Vince Welch, Jimmy Cook, making sure we stay on the air and uh, lining up great guests like Dan Duggan, the Giants beat writer from The Athletic. And uh, Dan, good to have you with us. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with some folks in Indy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, after the great start to the season that you get, before we get into the selfish reasoning behind our conversation, <laughs> after you guys got in, off to the, what, 6-1 and one start to begin the season, yeah. how disappointing was it to end the way it ended? Or for those of you on the inside, did you kind of see it playing out the way it played out? Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't use the word disappointing. You're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, I don't think anyone looked at this as like a 13-14 win team. So when they were on that pace, uh, it felt like regression would catch up to them at some point. And even Joe Shane, the GM, at the midpoint we spoke about the bye, uh, he wasn't getting too cocky, but I think he kind of sensed that it was coming. Obviously, it did. Uh, And then, obviously, we end the season with the win at Minnesota. I mean, it ended very ugly in Philly. But getting a playoff win, that's the first playoff win since Super Bowl 46. You know, I've been a long time coming for this franchise. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the, it ended on a bad note, but I think overall uh, this season was really encouraging, um, you know, despite the, you know, they kind of struggled down the stretch, but still, you know, right the ship enough to get in the playoffs and then win a playoff game. I think uh, everyone kind of feels like the arrow's pointing up here, which it hasn't been that way for a long time. And then the reaction to the uh, the game against the Eagles, I mean, the Giants weren't really in it. Granted, the Eagles are a phenomenal football team. No, I don't see any real weaknesses there. But 38-7 had to be an incredible disappointment to not even be in the game. What did they see from a local standpoint? What was the biggest complaint of what uh, of the way that one ended? Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, definitely a deflating end of the season. You know, as teams go on little playoff runs, you kind of you know, fans are gonna say, "Hey, we can we can make a run." Again, I just I don't think they, you know, I think they overachieved this year. I don't think anyone's really that upset. I mean, obviously the way it went down was ugly, but I mean, Philly's just a significantly better team. I mean, you look at their roster. I mean, one to fifty-three, they're just so much better. Uh, and unfortunately for the Giants, it really showed up on the field because this coaching staff, I think, had done a great job all year of working around their weaknesses, finding little things they could exploit the opponents. They just couldn't do it against Philly. They were just outmanned, and Philly has a good coaching staff. So it all kind of was a perfect storm, and obviously um, the result was pretty ugly. 
Hey, Dan, it's Brendan. I know the last time that you jumped on here on The Fan, we talked a lot about Daniel Jones and what he has done in a Giants uniform this year. But I guess looking at the entire campaign and now his relationship with Brian Dable, that continues to grow. Has Daniel Jones done enough in the minds of the people around the building that he is legitimately the guy for long-term action under center in New York? Yeah, he has. And, uh, you know, Joe Shane didn't even really play his uh, card that close to the best when he spoke yesterday. He's uh, got a season-ending press conference. He, he actually slipped at one point and said, you know, Daniel's going to be here. But then he kind of tried to put that back a little bit and said, well, you know, we're going to work something out. But, I mean, they're clearly operating on the impression that he'll be there. I mean, they have the franchise tag if they need to go that route. But um, he showed enough that they feel like that he is the guy that, um, you know, I don't know, they're going to give him some crazy monster deal. But I think they probably see a, a future with him, give him a few years, you know, that $30 million plus range. And they believe they can build this Ross up around him and that he showed enough that he can be the guy. You know, obviously led him to the playoffs this year, won a playoff game, and they think that there's, there's still more to come if they build up a better roster around him. Of course, uh, from an Indianapolis perspective, we're most interested in the Giants because of the uh, coach opening here. Uh, Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, the Giants defense, defensive coordinator, have uh, both gone through interviews with the coach uh, with the Colts. Uh, let, let's take uh, Kafka first off. Is he ready to be an NFL head coach in your pers- in your uh, opinion? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously that's one of those questions that's hard to answer because I feel like, you know, you never know uh, until they get in that seat because it could turn out like Nathaniel Hackett, you know. Uh, I will say, as far as a pedigree, uh, it's tough to come from a better one. You know, a guy who played kind of all over the league, so he saw a lot there as a backup quarterback. I think a lot of times backup quarterbacks, you know, end up making pretty good coaches. Uh, but then, you know, with Andy Reid, was really in his formative years. Then he comes here with Brian Dable, who obviously – uh, I think he's pretty you know, highly regarded offensive mind around the league, and, and they melded really well together. Uh, but he is still young. He hasn't been doing this for a terribly long time. This was his first year as a coordinator. Uh, so there would be a, there'd be a risk involved if you were to hand it over to him. It's not like he has this super long track record as being this you know, top-notch coordinator. But, you know, as we know, so much more goes into that job anyways. Um, so much of it's, you know, personality-driven and how you manage everything that goes into being a head coach. So I don't think there's any way to know that for sure. Um, but definitely, if you look around at the, the trends in the league, there's been a, you know, a real emphasis on finding these next uh, up-and-coming young offensive minds, and he certainly uh, you know, belongs in that group based on what he's done today. Yeah, you mentioned personality, and I think that's huge uh, for an NFL head coach or head coach at any, at, at any stop in, in any sport. What is Kafka like on a personal level? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Someone wrote from a different outlet wrote a feature on him recently and spoke to his mother, and even his mother said he's boring. So that, <laughs> that kind of could tell you what you're getting if mom is going on the record saying, yeah, he's pretty boring. I mean, that is definitely uh, the impression I got from the podium, but you don't know if it's different kind of behind closed doors. But again, if mom's saying that, I think it's fair to say that's not an act. He's very dry. Um, I mean, he's a really nice, pleasant guy. You know, I've spoken to him and stuff, and, and it's not like he's, you know, standoffish, but he is definitely – you know, he spent a brief time in New England. Maybe some of the Belichick media relations rubbed off on him. He just, he's buttoned up. And um, I don't think you're ever going to get big press conferences or even just behind closed doors. I mean, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be flipping tables at halftime and stuff. You know, he's much more of a cerebral type guy. But again, you know, kind of going back to the, the point, so many different ways to be effective in that role. There's guys who have his type of personality who have had success. I don't think that is a prerequisite. But definitely, the, the reason why I was 
I'm interested to see how this pans out for him. I would not think he would be a guy who would go into the interview room and just blow some owner away. Like, he just does not have a really big personality. And for a guy like him who doesn't have this, you know, long track record, I would think he would need to win somebody over an interview room. So, I mean, he's already got a a second interview with uh, Houston, I think, already on the docket. So, he's obviously done well. But that is the one thing I was a little curious how that would go because he definitely is not a big personality. I didn't realize he's a Chicago guy. He went to one of my rival high schools. That explains. Yeah, no, but, went, yeah. and went to Northwestern. Yeah, St. Yeah. Rita guy. So that yeah. explains the dryness for sure. <laughs> but uh, here's my here's my question, Dan, about Mike Kafka. Here in Indianapolis, when Frank Reich was the head coach and when Marcus Brady was the offensive coordinator, all play calling went to Reich and really the offense was formulated by Frank and Marcus Brady was kind of just there as the system guy and more so a glorified quarterbacks coach. So with Brian Dable and you mentioned the offensive mind that he was in Buffalo then going over to New York, how much of the offense was ran by Kafka, if any, and what really was his role in New York offensively? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, the bones of the offense is definitely more Dable than anything else. He came in, brought his quarterback coach, brought his O-line coach. So, like, they were running, you know, basically based on what they did in Buffalo. But it wasn't an accident that they tapped into an assistant from the Andy Reid tree and definitely, you know, it'd be crazy not to infuse some of the ideas there. So, they definitely melded it together. So, I think, you know, when you ask them questions, it's more like the Chiefs or the Bills, they give, you know, kind of a stock answer to the Giants offense, which, you know, these coaches are good at those types of uh, little expressions and whatnot. But uh, so they definitely melded it, but I would say more Dable. But then as far as once it became the play caller on game day, as we got into the season, Gafco was calling the plays. Like Dable uh, very much wanted to be the CEO around the whole operation. He did not want to have his you know nose buried in the play sheet. So he turned that over to Kafka. Now, I'm sure he was very involved in the, the week, you know, leading up to the game, the, the game planning, how they're going to attack the opponent. But on game day, he basically, you know, obviously he's given input, but you can't give too much input in 40 seconds. You know, Kafka's making those calls. So he was the play caller. Like, it wasn't one of these situations where he was just kind of uh, an OC and title only. Like, he was the OC, uh, but certainly – Dable had a heavy influence on how the offense operated. Yeah, it hasn't been a big body of work, but I've been impressed with it. And, and as you mentioned, the opportunity to work with Andy Reid. I mean, he works closely with Mahomes. Uh, that's uh, that's a pretty good opportunity, and it's nice to have that on the resume, even though just one year as coordinator. Not sure I'd uh, invest my franchise there, but uh, still, I, it's... It's a good place to look, that's for sure, 35-year-old Mike Kafka. Let's turn to the other side of the ball for the Giants. Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, also interviewed with the Colts, 59 years old, kind of a lifer as a defensive guy. He's been a coordinator at, at what, Baltimore, Denver, uh, now the Giants. How about his uh, perspective or or his uh, chances as a head coach from your perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, Definitely a very different personality. <laughs> like Wink is very much more loose and uh, comfortable in his own skin. He'll he'll come in if he gets a job. He'll have people cracking up during the opening presser. Like he has a great personality. Um, you know, he left Baltimore on kind of weird terms because he was the, he was there for like ten years. He was a DC for the last four, had top five scoring defenses in three of the last four three of his four years. But in the last year things kind of went haywire. Him and Harbaugh sort of came to a mutual decision to part ways. And I think a big part of that was, I think Wink, you know, he's, he's nearing 60. He really, really wants to be a head coach. I think he probably felt like he had capped out in Baltimore. So coming to a big market like New York, getting the opportunity to totally run the defense because, again, Dable's an offensive guy. I think a lot of that appealed to him. So there's no hiding that he wants to be a head coach, but he just really hasn't gotten a ton of opportunities. The interview for the Giants job in 2020 
And before this indie indie interview, I think this is that was the only other head coaching uh, shot that he got. So uh, I think you know he knows the clock is ticking. He needs to get an opportunity to kind of strike while the iron's hot. But uh, I think he'd be a really good head coach. I think he has this sort of outlaw image and stuff. But when you actually talk to him and talk to his players, he's way more cerebral than he comes across. Like his his game plans were very flexible. I mean, he definitely has a, a DNA of being pressure, pressure, pressure. But he's adaptable, and I think players love him. Like, players really rally around him and will play for him. So, uh, if you're talking of those two guys who I'd be more excited as a fan, like, I think Wink would generate more excitement. But that's not the slight cap because I think he's a really smart football mind. I just have no idea how he'd be as a, as a leader, whereas I think Wink definitely has the leadership down. The question with him would be, like, what would he do on offense? Because he is strictly a defensive guy in his background. We're visiting with Dan Duggan, the Giants beat reporter for The Athletic, The Mower Shop, and TheMowerShop.com. Uh, uh, bringing uh, this interview to you, and uh, we appreciate Dan taking some time. Would the Giants most uh, be uh, hurt by losing Kafka or Martindale? Yeah, and again, this isn't the slight Kafka. It would definitely be Wink just because, you know, again, Dable is an offensive guy. He has a lot of hands in there. Uh, and Wink runs such a unique scheme. It's not something you could just find someone to plug in and run what he runs. So, if they were to lose him, it would sort of be kind of back to the drawing board. You have to like, figure out what your defensive identity is going to be. You can't, you can't just ask somebody else to run what he did, I don't think. Uh, whereas with Kafka, again, he had a big influence here, but I just think the, the blow would be cushioned a little bit by the fact that, you know, Dable could step in a little more if need be. Uh, again, whoever comes in would sort of be running his offense, and now they, you know, they have the Kafka element. So I think just based on the head coaching background, it's, it's pretty easily um, that Dable would be – I mean, sorry, the Wink would be the bigger loss for the staff. Dan, this is probably more so a training camp question, but when you're around the players and you get a sense of their interactions with both of these guys, Kafka and Martindale, did you have an understanding that most, if not all, on the Giants roster respected these guys, number one, and then also enjoyed playing for them? Yeah, and I think that's both of them. Like I said, they have very different personalities, but they both, uh, in their own way, connect with players. Uh, never, you know, never heard any grumbling in the locker room or anything like that. I think they're both the, you know, good guys, so to speak, and, and players rally around them. I just think that Winks uh, had just a little bit. He has, he's more charisma. Like, there's no way to, you know, two ways to put it. So I think players really rallied around him. And you like defensive players like swore by him. You know, they run through a brick wall for him, that type of thing. Kafka just, you know, he's really smart, does a really good job, but I don't think he just engenders those types of feelings in his players because again he's just more of an understated guy Hmm. good stuff uh good insight there into the Giants situation and and how that impacts the Colts and their coaching search Dan Duggett the uh, Giants beat writer from the Athletic thanks for uh, taking the time Dan we appreciate you yeah absolutely thanks guys thanks Dan yeah good stuff there from uh Dan Duggan and uh, maybe we'll break some of that down when we come back and uh, great to have you uh, listening in along with uh, Brandon King I'm Vince Welch Jimmy Cook making sure we stay on the air thank you Jimmy and uh, uh you know I, let me say this about the role of a producer which uh, Jimmy is so many times the person in front of the camera or in front of the microphone uh we get uh, you know, we get the recognition for better or worse, if it's good or if it's bad. But a lot of the hard work and the groundwork is done by the guys behind the scenes. A guy like Jimmy, kind of like the offensive lineman, you know, the quarterback, the running back, the wide receiver gets the attention. But really, the guys doing the heavy lifting are the offensive linemen. So uh, I want to shout that out to Jimmy because uh, this 
kind of position is really what makes the show click and what makes the show work. So uh, shout out to Jimmy for uh, all the work, including snagging Dan Duncan, uh, Dan Duggan uh, from The Athletic. We'll be back. Uh, Brandon King, I'm Vince Welch, and you're listening to 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, great to have you with us. I'm Vince Welch. Brandon King is here. Jimmy Cook with us as well. It's very cool to have an opportunity to sit back behind the mic in this building. And, of course, you know, I've been... Uh, doing this a long time, but anytime we just have a chance to sit around and talk sports, it's like sitting down in the basement with your buddies, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Everybody's talking about the Colts decision, the Pacers have lost seven in a row, what's IU, Purdue, all this stuff. And uh, to be able to just kind of sit here and do it on the radio is is pretty cool. So, uh, nice to have an opportunity to do that again. Appreciate you guys. Well, we're glad to have you, my man. It's been an awesome, awesome first hour. Yeah, we talked a little bit about uh, IU and and uh, Purdue and and what the IU women uh, did last week or last night, but uh, also locally, Attics Christmas Attics beat Cathedral last night in the boys basketball city championship game, and that was a huge win. I I can remember as a high school student myself going to Tech High School and watching the city championship. And the place being packed and some of the great games. I mean, there's such a tremendous history and tradition there for that event, the Boys Basketball City Championship. And just uh, wanted to kind of give a shout out to Chris Hawkins, the coach at Attics. That was a huge win over Cathedral, 61-51 last night. And I think Cathedral, maybe Cathedral's dominated the city tournament of late and beat Attics last year, I think, by like 35 or something. I've been on the call for a couple of those games. I didn't do it this year. I'm working around Cali now. My friends at Indian SRN, I believe, had that game. Uh, Attics took it two years ago for their first city win in like 50 years, and then Cathedral got them last year. So it's been... They've and been not the just one got them last year. I mean, yeah, Cathedral. I think yeah. beat them like thirty. Yeah, something they they, they handled them pretty pretty well last year. But it's been a it's been those two is the draw of the city tournament the last three years, and it it's just been a fun back and forth little rivalry that that Attics and Cathedral have been on in the city tournament. Yeah, and such great traditions. I mean, obviously Christmas Attics, Oscar Robertson, and right on down the list. But uh, uh, Desmond Briscoe had twenty one last night for Attics, a sophomore six seven, great game. Ron Rutland had eighteen, so that was a huge win on a lot of different levels for. Uh, addicts. So congratulations to them uh, on the high school level. And uh, also I want to just give one more uh, mention that this is a, a big story locally that maybe you don't even realize, but those of you that that are listening in the tennis community, you're probably aware of it, but kind of the first family of tennis in the state of Indiana, the Witzkin family. Todd Witzkin was a terrific uh, high school and college player, uh, professional player, beat Jimmy Connors at the U.S. Open in 86. Unfortunately, he died of brain cancer in 98. But the Witzkin family, a huge uh, tennis family in the state of Indiana. Rick Witzkin, um, still very uh, active in the tennis community here and also the pickleball community. In fact, he's one of the top-ranked senior pickleball players in the world, works out of the Indianapolis area. But their nephew, Ben Shelton, 20 years old, in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. I mean, he's 20 years old, and this is just his second Grand Slam tournament 
and he's in the quarters mm. at the Australian Open. So shout out to him, uh, his mom, uh, Lisa Witzkin. His dad is Brian Shelton. So for you tennis, I'm going to dig a little deeper for you tennis people may be familiar with this, but um, he's the tennis coach at the University of Florida. Ben Shelton was the NCAA champion last year, by the way, in, in singles. But uh, Brian Shelton, former professional tennis coach, is Ben Shelton's dad coach at the University of Florida, the only tennis coach in NCAA Division I history to win a title for both the men and the women. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But uh, congratulations to Ben Shelton, 20 years old, in the quarters at the Australian Open and all part of the Witzkin family. And uh, that's a real neat story for those of us here locally that that love tennis. I went to college, I don't know if there's any relation with Tanner Witzkin, who's a Butler, former Butler men's yep. soccer player. Yep. Tanner played high school soccer at Karma. I don't know yep. if there's a relation it there is. with yep. Because yeah. uh, Tanner was one of my good friends in college, great kid. Uh, so you mentioned you play pickleball, and we're up against it love here. But pickleball. so you're a pickleball guy. I love it. Uh, my parents have now gotten into it because they spent a lot of their time in Florida. I- is it as cool and fun as every single person on social media I hear say? Uh, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like any sport. You know, the more you do it, the better you get. But uh, the cool thing about it is, is that uh, men and women can play it together when you're about the same level. And if you're uh, not a very good player, if you're just a beginner, well, there's a lot of beginners out there that are still, you know, that you can play with and have fun with. And if you're more advanced, then there's a lot of advanced players out there that you can play with and have. So the game is uh, is spreading like uh, wildfire. It's I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, this time of year, when it's cold out in Indiana, uh, we envy those that are going to Florida and and, uh, and having an opportunity to play outside. But a lot of indoor play at Carmel Racquet Club and also IRC East here locally. But uh, it's a great game. And if you've ever thought about learning to play, strongly encourage you to do it. I've seen a lot of young people. Uh, initially, people thought it was kind of an older person's game, but there's a lot of young people that are playing and, uh, and uh, really taking to it and, and love it. People are going crazy for that, man. man. If you if you have any kind of racket sport experience, tennis, racquetball, squash, p- uh, ping pong, yeah, then you pick it up just like that. And uh, great game, love it. Well, there's a ping pong table downstairs on four, so we might have to <laughs> we might have to touch, test out the studio ping pong talent uh, a little bit later. Good show, good rest of the show coming up. Kristen Airy will be with us here at the top of the hour next. It's the Pacers and the Bulls tonight from the Fieldhouse. Coverage on the fan at six thirty, and you will hear the great Mark Boyle on the call on the fan a little bit later. Kristen Airy with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Next is tonight, the night that the skit ends. We'll find out. <laughs> Pacers and the Bulls. Coverage tonight at 6.30 here on The Fan. Tip time at 7 from the Fieldhouse. The television play-by-play voice of the Indiana Pacers, Chris Denary, is our guest here at the top of the hour from the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Chris, it's great to have you as always. No Tyrese Halliburton again tonight, but reports that I'm reading are Rick Carlisle pretty happy with at least the non-contact progression for Halliburton getting back on the floor. So all in all, Chris, that's pretty good news. Yeah, I think that's the best news, and, and the best news was a little over a week ago, or you know, when, when he went down in New York, you're thinking the worst, and then uh, the next day it came out that they hoped he would be back, uh, you know, hopefully by the first of February, and, and and it looks, you know, like he's progressing pretty well. Uh, the good news is 
you've got a game tonight, then we go to Orlando tomorrow, and then you've got Milwaukee on Friday and at Memphis on Sunday, and then you don't play again until the following Thursday. So uh, for what they're looking at, hopefully that all shakes out that uh, Tyrese could be back uh, for that first game in February. But we'll just have to wait and see. But the good news is he's progressing very well. And the Pacers need him. I mean, it's it, not to put it all on one guy, but uh, they're one and seven without him this year. And the the offense, while a lot of people will look at the defense uh, over the road trip, it was really the offense. And uh, Tyrese is such a, a big player in that and how he orchestrates things. So uh, they've had to do some different things, and uh, they'll have to do some different things tonight against the Bulls. Hey, Chris, um, it's Vince. Uh, good to uh, chat with you. Uh, how about with Halliburton being out, and and I know that that makes a huge difference, but the Suns were without multiple players, uh, the Bucks, the Grizzlies. When, you, when a guy goes out, especially at this level, somebody else has got to – I mean, it's the NBA, man. Somebody else has got to step up and make it happen. And um, if one guy is going to make the difference between you being a team several games over 500 and you being on a seven-game losing streak, then maybe there's a, a deeper issue. Who has got to step up and get this thing turned around for the Pacers? Well, I think the one thing is, uh, you know, they've turned it over way too much. Uh, I think during the seven-game losing streak, it's like 17 per game. But I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, the advantage that these other teams have, and, and if you look back at Phoenix, they've won three straight now, but I think they're four and fifth, they were four and 13 without Devin Booker, who's their all-star. Um, and, you know, they were in the finals a couple of years ago in, in Milwaukee. Yeah, they don't have Giannis, but, you know, that's a, a championship contending team. And, and so these teams, uh, I don't want to, I don't know if they have a lot more depth. I think the Pacers' depth is pretty good, but it's better experience depth. It's it's players that have been there and done that deep into the playoffs, and that's something, you know, that the Pacers don't have. They're st- they're still trying to figure that out. So, you know, if if you look at, it, I mean, T.J. McConnell's had had a great road trip. I mean, he, uh, you know, started the road trip with a career high twenty nine off the bench, and then goes for a triple double against Phoenix. I, I think it's got to be more collective. And they've got to shoot the ball better. I mean, that's one of the things in the previous seven games before the road trip, they were shooting nearly 50% from the field. And if you look at, at the last seven, they're shooting 42% from the field. And, and those numbers are going to make it very hard for you to win games. Uh, so I would say, Vince, collectively, you know, each guy has to step up and take care of his own business, and I think that would help the team collectively. Yeah, that old philosophy or the saying, what, next man up? I mean, we hear that a lot, um, but it really is true. And uh, I think, that especially with a young team, it's it's maybe sometimes hard to find that guy that feels comfortable stepping into that role. The Pacers have, what, seven, by my count, seven key players, 25 or younger, hmm. and Miles Turner is 26. Uh, I mean, the, He's fu- the old man. Yeah, but the <laughs> the future is so bright. But I, it just bothers me a little bit that with this opportunity, somebody hasn't seen it as their time to kind of take over and uh, and and make it happen. Easier said than done, I, I realize. But but it is it is the NBA, and I and I would echo your sentiments about T.J. McConnell. I mean, that dude, and he's fun to watch. I mean, I just love yeah. the energy that he brings to the table. 
Yeah, there's no question. And I think one of the things I, I did a little dive into the last seven opponents. Unfortunately, you hit a bunch of opponents that were playing pretty well. Memphis along Wind Street, Denver along Wind Street. I think of the last seven, they've won like, uh, if, if you look at each one of the opponents' last 10 games, they've won 65% of the games. And so that made it difficult. And then I think, you know, you look at somebody like Andrew Nemhard, who I think is going to be really, really good. I mean, the first pick of the second round. But without Halliburton at times, you put a lot on his plate because now he's got to run the team. You still want him to score, and he's been defending usually the best perimeter player. So those are three things that all of a sudden have landed on his plate, and I think that's a lot to handle. And, and you know, he's, he was under the weather the last few games of the road trip, didn't practice yesterday. I don't know what his availability will be tonight. So you're right. I think, you know, one of the things that you found through this is – I think the team did so well early. They exceeded any of our expectations. Uh, they were 23 and 18 through the first 41 games. So you get a little greedy, right? You, you think, oh, man, you know, let, let's, let's keep pouring it on. And then you get a little bit of a reality check, especially when you go on the road and you're playing without Halliburton. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, time for some guys tonight uh, back home. Uh, you know, just to kick it up a notch and, and do it against a team that's probably playing as well as they've played this year. It's a team that to some extent has underachieved. I mean, they're two games under 500, the Bulls. They've got three all-stars in Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine. So uh, it'll be a tough task tonight against the Bulls. Chris, my question on McConnell is the work ethic side of it because – Having a guy like that to look up to, I'm sure, for a Nemhard, Mather, and even throw Halliburton in there. And I realize James Johnson has done a lot of work at the end of that bench, too. But when McConnell does it on a nightly basis and sort of acts as that spark plug, what does that do in your mind for a young player, a young guard, watching him do that? Well, I think this team is so close, too, when you look at their camaraderie and the culture that I think they've established with this new group. I mean, they're, they're all in for everyone, but especially they see a guy like T.J., who puts in so much work. And, you know, I had a chance on the road trip to talk to Jenny Busick, who works a lot with TJ, and they really broke his his shooting motion down and, and in effect, changed his shot a little bit um, just to, to, you know, to give him more confidence in shooting the basketball. And, you know, right now he's a 50, 40, 90 guy. I mean, he's shooting 50% from the field. Uh, 90% at the line, and he's hit six of his last eight from three-point range. So you have to give a lot of credit to a guy like that who's eight years into his career, he's 30 years old, and making adjustments to get better because a lot of players wouldn't do that from the standpoint that they wouldn't want to change or uh, you know do something different than what they've done the first you know six or seven years. So, yeah, you have to give him a lot of credit. I mean, he's somebody that you just root for. The fans love him. Uh, you know, he usually comes off the bench. Uh, he had to start uh, the other night in Phoenix. And, and I would guess if, if Nemhard's not available, then you'd see McConnell again in the starting lineup. Chris, you mentioned Jenny Busick. Uh, who's winning the game of horse amongst the assistants uh, for the Pacers? You got Busick, you got uh, Ron Norad, Calbert Chaney. I mean, who's, who's top yeah. notch there? Well, let's see. You got to throw Lloyd Pierce. He yeah, Lloyd, in the back, gamer. He started yeah. in the back. Yeah, yeah, he started in the backcourt with Steve Nash yeah. uh, in college. Um, boy, I tell you what, Jenny can shoot it. There's no question about that. But 
I think if you if you were to break it all down, and then you had Gennaro Pargo, who's a part of the the staff, yeah. and and you know he was an NBA player. But I think we all would probably look at Calvert Chaney, right? I mean, the, you know, one of the the great players ever at IU, and what what is he, the all time Big Ten scoring leader? Uh, Calvert's fifty plus now, but mm. I see him loaded. Mm-hmm. On a regular basis, so that guy can can continue to 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 shoot. So I might have to go with Calvert. Still got the stroke, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's still awesome. got the, that. Never leaves you, right? It, you know, your your wind and your endurance and your ability to get up and down the floor, but that shooting stroke, it it never leaves. Hey, I, I want you to kind of take us to the broadcast side a little bit because, um, and I'll, I'll I want to get in a little bit to our background. I mean, you and I've known one another, so I think we first met back in the late '80s, right? Um, yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, we were, right. uh, and I'll just give you this little bit of story here. Show up at uh, I was working for a radio station in Richmond, Indiana. It was my first job out of college, and we broadcast um, all of the state championship back then. It was one class system, and you broadcast and our radio station there in Richmond. We brought whether Richmond was still in it or not. We broadcast all the games throughout the state tournament. You know, and Richmond was in the Indianapolis semi-state, so you'd go to. Hinkle and you'd broadcast the semi-state and that was a time when there would be a row of just radio station after radio station after radio station and our radio station uh, station that year got seated there uh, on, on radio row and uh, about mid-court and next to me was uh, I didn't know Chris at the time but was Chris Denary. And that's how Chris and I first met. And I think your wife was maybe like keeping stats for you and your dad was working yeah. the game with you. Yeah. And um, and uh, it was just, uh, you know, two broadcasters happened to be seated next to one another, met one another, and um, literally 40 years later almost uh, still friends. So uh, that's pretty cool. I've never forgotten it. One of the things that impressed me is Chris had that big Wabash ring on. <laughs> Yeah, throwing the bling around just to make sure everybody knew that he had the game. And, uh, yeah. Well, give us a little scouting report on your game back in the day, Chris. Oh, I, w- I was a valuable reserve in college. That's what I like to say. I mean, I, I had a really nice high school career. Uh, my last two years at Westfield, played for my dad. Yeah. And then uh, went to Wabash and played all four years. Uh, Who was you your know, coach at Wabash? Just- it was Mac Petty, and uh, in fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our reunion of our national championship team, so so that'll be good. But uh, yeah, it was a, a, a tremendous experience, and for me, also from day one, when I walked on campus, uh, you know, my dad had encouraged me. He said, I think you'd be pretty good at this. You ought to go look at that radio station, and ironically, Vince, and you worked at WNDY, yeah. the radio station was WNDY mm. back in 1979 when I got there. Wow. So, um, you know, I went and, and went to the table and signed up and said, okay, what do you do? Um, because, you know, back in 1979, no, there were no high school radio stations or you didn't really have those yeah. opportunities. So uh, that really was a game changer for me to get that experience uh, from day one and I became the the voice of the football team for two years. Couldn't do basketball because I played. Um, But, yeah, it was a a great experience. And then, you know, back to those days, you know, those high school days, uh, I was the voice of – I was at UND, and I was doing games for Bill Shirk at WXLW, and um, my dad was my analyst. And I can – I still have – I still have some of those cassette tapes. I mean, they're almost 40 years old. 
But to be able to do that with my dad was was really, really special. Yeah, and I uh, loved seeing your dad, even when we weren't just doing games, to just bump into him someplace and uh, talk sports and, and uh, always a good conversation of basketball. I love coaches anyway so i uh, loved your dad and uh that was it's it's funny i've never forgotten the opera you know sitting there at that game and thinking man this guy next to me he looks like he's pretty switched on and uh little did i know he'd become Kristen air so now a long time television voice and face of the pacers how many years has it been now 17 17 uh, years the- I was the radio voice of Butler for 17, and then alongside Butler and Pacers, I did the Fever for 18, and uh, this is the 17th is the TV voice of the Pacers on uh, Valley Sports. So, So, yeah, it's it's been quite a run. I've got to believe it was one of the uh, great thrills for you to get back on the road to the games this year because COVID era, you're broadcasting games from the studio. Uh, here in Indianapolis. Yeah. And and I've been there. I mean, when I was doing the truck series uh, at Fox, we did half the races from the studio, called them from the studio. So I get it. Um, but take us kind of behind the curtain, if you will, as a broadcaster and what that's like doing that and, and the joy of getting back to the game and, and uh, being there live versus being in the studio. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I, I think that, you know, people don't realize is that the the ability that you have to make connections with the players and the coaches when you're on the road, because there, you know, there's a lot of downtime. You're on planes, you're on buses, uh, you go to shoot around, um, those types of things. Uh, You know, for instance, we stayed the night on Saturday night after the game in Phoenix. And then on Sunday we flew home, but we had a breakfast for the entire travel party before we got on the buses to go to the airport. And, you know, you're sitting at a table with Coach Carlisle and and Ron Norad and players. And those are opportunities that you have to to build relationships because I think when you're you're the play-by-play voice of a team, and, and the same would be for Quinn as the analyst and J.J. and all of us that travel, I mean, you're that tie to the fans really with the players. And there's a trust that you build uh, with the players and the coaches. And I think it's it's more easily built when you're around. Um, you know, we have the great benefit that we can go to any practice. We can go to any shoot around. There are some teams that broadcasters aren't allowed to do that. And clearly during COVID, you know, the, the toughest year was that first year where we couldn't go to practice, we couldn't go to shoot around, we couldn't we we couldn't be around the players or the coaches. So everything we were doing was via Zoom. Can you still do it? Sure, you can, but you you don't build those relationships. And uh, I, I think especially when you have a new and a young team, um, and and you've got guys that that you haven't worked with before, it really becomes essential that, that you can be around them and learn about them. So there's no question that, you know, from that standpoint, I think it really helps your broadcast because, you know, wh- wh- I, I remember I used to tell my dad, this was a number of years ago, Vince, we did a couple of studio games uh, back in the, in the fever the time I was doing the fever. And I remember talking to my dad when he was still alive. He goes, Hey, how do you do that? What's it like? I go, dad, I'm watching the same thing you're watching mm-hmm. at your house. I'm just the one talking about it because, <laughs> because I'm watching the, the, the yeah. same monitor and I'm getting the same picture. So when you're in the building, no matter where you are, if you're courtside or if you're up, there's just other things that you see. 
So those are, you know, those are all the advantages that you have when you're live on site. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things, too, is you used to always be courtside. And now I know that uh, some uh, arenas have the broadcast locations up a little bit, especially for the radio guys. I'm not sure if as the TV, uh, as the TV crew, if you're always courtside. But it, we see so many more uh, fan seats courtside yeah. now than we used to. Uh, and then the other night in uh, Los Angeles, you had the incident with Shannon Sharp, who got involved with uh, an argument with the Memphis Grizzlies players, and they had to be separated. And eventually, Sharp was escorted from the arena or from the court, took him back behind uh, in the locker room area, and then he was able to come back out later. But are you seeing more interaction fan and i i gotta believe that's a tough position for the players and coaches sometimes when so many more fans are accessible and feel entitled to engage the players and coaches yeah i think it's there's pros and cons i mean i think i think it's the great thing about the sport is that you can be so close as a fan that you can really gain an appreciation of how fast how big how strong you know, how quickly the game moves, but they're also, you know, it can create some negatives as well. Um, we're probably of the, of the 30 venues, uh, we're probably half and half from a TV standpoint, probably 15 down and 15 up. Um, in Utah back in November, I was a little bit under the weather um, in and I, we were way up. I felt like I was on the moon. I mean, we were so high. I was like, uh, you know, I, it, my hearing wasn't my my hearing wasn't great. I mean, I had a lot going on. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm on the moon. But um, I'd say half of the places it's like we have at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, where we're either right next to the bench or we're on the scorers bench. Um, so, like I said, I, I think that's the beauty about basketball is that fans can be close and they can get a real feel for what's going on uh, but but at times there can be some negatives as well as those players are so close to the fans chris my broadcast question comes from what just happened the other day on the radio side with mark boyle three thousand pacers broadcast and that was an awesome video that the pacers put out with rick carlisle giving mjb the game ball um, you and Mark obviously have worked with the Pacers each for a long time. So what do you think you guys learn from each other most? Well, I, there's no question. I, I, I learned a lot from him back in my Butler and my fever days is just listening to Mark. I don't think there is anybody that I've listened to that is as descriptive and paints a picture as Mark. And and when you're doing radio, I mean, that's that's the thing that you want to do is you want to paint the picture so – that the listener, wherever they might be in their car, sitting at home, that they can visualize what's going on in a game. So uh, there's no question that that back in the day, uh, I mean, I, I used Mark as somebody that I listened to and, and wanted to improve my radio broadcast game after game. And and I think now as, as you know, colleagues, I do TV, he does radio. I mean, we bounce things off each other. We share information. I mean, um, I get some stuff. Um, during the day um, that I forward to Pat Boylan and Mark. And so, you know, it, it's all about making each of our telecasts and broadcasts better. I mean, there are some people that, you know, may start out the game listening on radio because they're out and about and they finish watching on television or it may work in the opposite way. So 
Um, it's all about, uh, you know, putting out the best product that we can put out, both radio, television, digital, all those kinds of things. And, you know, there's only a handful of people in, in sports that have done 3,000 games with one team. Um, so, you know, just a tribute to him after 35 years, what he's been able to accomplish. And uh, how many of those years have you worked with Quinn? All 17. Uh, all 17 years. Um, when I first started out, I also had Clark Kellogg. He would do about 20 games. And so I would bounce a little back and forth between Quinn and Clark. But, yeah, uh, Quinn and I have been together for 17 years. And now I know this as a broadcaster. When you work with someone, and, and I've not worked side-by-side side with someone for that long, but your broadcast partner kind of becomes like your traveling spouse in a lot of ways. I mean, you get eventually at some point you get kind of sick of seeing them or, you, you know, they, they rub you the wrong way occasionally. How many times do you or Quinn kind of get in a situation where you have to bite your tongue? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that happens. There's no, I mean, there's no. Question. Don't lie to me, Chris. We've known each other yeah. too long. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, it's not knocking Quinn or, or yeah, not ask him the same well, about you. I mean, it's just. Me. I, yeah. you know, I may say something that irritates him <laughs> or that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where the one thing that, that he coined a few years ago, and I give him credit for it. He goes, look, we're an infotainment. Um, you know, we're, pro- we're providing information, but at the same time we have to entertain and, a case in point, we had a, a, a premium ticket event last night, and I was able. We were all able to be there with some players and visit with, um, you know, our fans and our season ticket holders and our our sponsors. And I had one guy, you know, he said, "Hey, we if we're not at the game, we watch every game with you and Quinn." He goes, "You guys are in our house like four nights a week," yeah. and and that's, you know, when you think about it. That's for about six months. That's what we are. Mm. And so we've got to make sure that we have fun and, and, you know, energize people about the team because it's a long year and it can't be all just, you know, straightforward facts and numbers and those types of things. So, um, yeah, we, we, we have a lot of fun with it and uh, look forward to it each and every night. Yeah, I, I think you guys do a great job. And, and it's and it, you make it look easy, and I've, I've done it enough to know it's not. And, um, and including that, that back and forth with your partner, and you guys do a good job. Hey, uh, basketball question before we let you go. Uh, the Hashimura trade, um, they, uh, the Lakers acquired him. I saw that the Pacers were a team that uh, maybe had dipped their toe in the water with Hashimura. They they gave, uh, what, the Lakers gave up uh, three second-round draft picks, yeah. and, and Kendrick Nunn doesn't yeah. seem like a high price for a guy that was picked ninth in the draft a few years ago. Were you surprised that he went that cheap, and, and were the Pacers in the mix there? I'm sure, you know, they're always, I mean, there's always discussions going on. You never know, you know, I, I follow it just like the fans. I mean, just try to figure out, you know, what's out there. And, and this is the time of year where a couple of weeks away, well, really, I guess a little over, uh, a little over a week away from the trade deadline, those kinds of things. I've always liked Rui Hashimura at uh, Washington, and it makes a lot of sense uh, for the Lakers. I mean, you know, so, so much has been made about their two first round picks in 27 and 29 that I think they really want to hold on to because they don't know how long. I mean, it's only 2023. 
you know, how long is LeBron going to play? He's 38 years old. He's still putting up fabulous numbers. But, you know, I'm not sure the Lakers want to mortgage their future in that situation. So that's – I give them a lot of credit. I think that's a pretty good deal. Um, they've got enough backcourt depth that I think they can do without Kendrick Nunn. But Hashimura gives them somebody that can shoot the three and give them some minutes at uh, the forward position. So that's the first one to fall – that should set in motion, I think, an interesting next two weeks to see what happens with, you know, trades and those types of things across the NBA. Kristen Airy, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Last thing from me, Chris, uh, the report I'm reading right now, Daniel Tice not available tonight, of course, but uh, the Veteran Center is progressing well in practice per ESPN and could be available soon. I, I know the trade deadline is the trade deadline. We'll have to see what happens with both buy and sell stories. But Tyshe would think he would slot in pretty well on that second unit. I don't know if you've seen him in practice, but if you have, how does he look and how do you think he would be able to gel with that second unit? Yeah, he's starting to do more. There's no question about that. I mean, he's starting to get more of a run. I mean, he played all summer uh, with the German national team in Eurobasket and then had a procedure uh, to clean up some things in his knee. So he's a guy I've always liked. I mean, when you look at what the Pacers were able to get in the trade for Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Neesmith has done a really good job, almost a double-figure score. Um, they got the first-round pick from Boston, which will you know probably be in the late 20s because of where they are. But, you know, Daniel Tice is a very capable player. I mean, I – I'm sure Boston was was not thrilled to have to, you know, lose him, uh, especially when they had the injury to Robert Williams earlier in the year. But um, I'm I'm interested to see how he fits in, um, you know, when he's fully healthy. And it it appears that that is uh, sooner rather than later. You've been around a long time. I mean, and you've seen this situation of guys coming back from injury or guys that are healthy but just don't play that much, and then all of a sudden they get called upon to get in and contribute. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard to just come in after not playing and adjust to the speed, you know, to not have – because when you go in the game, you're not expected to be rusty. And yeah. it's not, you know, we we can sit at home and we can uh, uh, criticize or or uh, evaluate from our arm armchair position. But um, if you've been around long enough, you know that it's hard. I mean, it's hard to come in in those situations. And uh, we I think we take for granted sometimes that guys in that situation just jump right in. And uh, Duarte, for instance, just jump right in and supposed yeah. to be as good as like he didn't never missed a beat. Yeah, the speed of the game, Vince, and you're right. I mean, and and that's what, to me, has changed in the last 10 years. I I was just – I wrote down this note tonight. Don't know if I'll use it. I mean, like you and Brendan and, you know, as play-by-play people, we have all this preparation, and I've got all this preparation on my chart, but I may only use 5 to 10% of it tonight. I may carry over stuff. But one thing I noted, and this tells you about the speed of the game and what you're referring to, like with Daniel Tice – is the Bulls have increased their scoring in 10 straight seasons. Wow. Hmm. And, but, but you go back in 2012-13, they averaged 93 points per game. Hmm. They're averaging 115 points per game now. So it tells you that in a 10-year period, I mean, they're averaging almost 25 points more per game, which means – there's a lot more possessions, right? And and to that point, what you're talking about, the speed of the game today is so much faster than it was even 10 years ago. But to your point, I think it, it can take a while 
to get adjusted to the speed of the game because any coach and player will tell you as much as you practice as as much as you do it still does not simulate what you're going to face in an NBA game so that's why you'll see players come back and and have a minutes restriction or those types of things because the game is just so much faster these days well and guys are I mean teams are taking 43 pointers a game Right. I mean, can you believe? Right. I mean, it's incredible the number of three point shots that are going up these days. If you're, you know, old enough to remember, like you said, the the years of the Bulls where they were scoring, you know, ninety eight a game. Hmm. I mean, it was uncommon, you know, then if both teams were over a hundred in a, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, but nowadays, man, if you saw an NBA game where both teams scored under a hundred, you'd be curious yeah. as to what happened. Yeah, I mean. It, one of the games this year, what was it, Miami and the Pacers, it was 89-82, and I, I thought, man, we are back in like uh, <laughs> 20, 2011 or 2012. But think back to some of those playoff games yep. that the Pacers played in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. They were playing game. I remember there was a game against Detroit. It was like 72-67. to 67. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's a third-quarter score for most games these days. That's right. That's right. Hey, you're the best, Chris. I appreciate it. Uh, longtime uh, fan and longtime friend, and uh, certainly uh, glad to have you on with us today. Thanks for your insight, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing the game tonight, Pacers and the Bulls. Oh, always great to talk to you, Vince, and thanks, Brandon. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Chris. Pacers have lost seven in a row, the longest current losing streak in the league. Got to get that turned around. Tonight against a Bulls team that, as Chris mentioned, has won three in a row, the ninth and tenth place teams in the East right now. Yeah, and if the Pacers do have aspirations to stay in that playing section of the East, Vince, I mean, they're going to have to at some point get this back on track, and especially beat the teams that are around them. You know, they beat Toronto a few weeks back inside Cambridge Fieldhouse. That was an important win because it kept Toronto outside of that playing section of the east so big game tonight when it comes to you know again if 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 it is a team with playoff aspirations you got to beat the teams below you yeah and uh, you know when you play 82 games it's it's easy to think one game eh, you know one game here one game there whatever the case may be but uh you know it might come down to playoffs where you get in by a game or you get in by a half game and then all of a sudden you know one game in january may seem a little more significant. You know, I mean, they don't seem significant sometimes when you're playing them at that say, well, it's they've lost seven in a row and now it's eight, you know, whatever the case may be. But when you get to the point of the playoffs where a half a game may make a difference between whether you get in or whether you don't, there are a lot of times during the course of that season you look back and, and every, I mean, it's cliche, but every game really is important. Mm-hmm. What I'm most interested about is is seeing the Pacers without Halliburton. Somebody else has got to insert themselves to be the alpha. Somebody else has got to make it happen for the Pacers. And and I'm not sure who that guy is right now. I'd like to see somebody step up and say, I'm the guy, and show it with their play. And um, unfortunately, just really haven't seen it yet. Hopefully that changes tonight. Well, that's something we might learn tonight. Again, coverage Pacers and the Bulls here on The Fan at 6.30. You'll hear Mark Boyle with the call, Pat Boylan on the pregame, of course, Eddie White with the world's greatest postgame show. Following things, tip time at the Fieldhouse is at 7. Vince Welch is hanging with us in studio here for the next couple days. Happy to have him. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. We'll come back. We can take some of your phone calls if you would like to do that. If you'd like to chime in, that's 317-239-1070. We're back next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, great to have you uh, with us. Uh, spend a little time with us today, wherever you happen to be listening, whether it's the car or at home or online or maybe even watching on, uh, what is this, YouTube, Jimmy? Yeah, go to youtube.com. Go to youtube.com, search 107.5 The Fan, or search The Fan Midday Show, and you can join us. The YouTube chat, always bumping. Got a nice uh, dual camera shot. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> disconcerting, you, you know, back. because you got to make sure, you know, you, you got your hair right, and you're not picking your nose, or, you know, you're not doing something that, you know, you don't realize you're on camera. All things you're used to from TV. Yeah. Well, well, uh, you can only work with what you got. So. <laughs> hey, it's been fun. I've enjoyed uh, being with you, uh, you guys, uh, Brandon King and uh, and Jimmy Cook. I'm Vince Welch, and we just had, I thought, a good conversation with mm-hmm. Chris Denary. Certainly interesting, and, and Chris and I go way back a long time. But uh, also visited with Dan Duggan from The uh, Athletic, the Giants beat reporter. Talked a little bit about uh, the Giants offensive and defensive coordinators who have interviewed for the Colts position. And we'll talk uh, with Mike Chappell uh, after the top of the hour or at the top of the hour coming up here at uh, 2 o'clock Eastern. So uh, good stuff. And uh, Pacers and Bulls tonight. Uh, IU and Purdue have a couple of days off. IU back at it Wednesday at Minnesota. Minnesota's lost three in a row. Purdue returns to action Thursday at Michigan. Uh, We uh, chatted earlier about the IU women's team that Mm -hmm. beat Michigan last night in uh, the... uh, do they call them the Lady Hoosiers? Is that appropriate or just the Hoosiers? What do we? Uh, Terry Moran's team. Terry, the, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, Terry Moran's team. Uh, the uh, the Hoosiers, eighteen and one, best start in school history. So that's pretty cool. So uh, wish them the best as they continue on. They play Thursday at Assembly Hall against number two Ohio State. So number two against number six. That'll be a pretty big game. Um, how about the, the the football conference championship games this weekend? How do you see that working out? Well, I think you made a good point earlier, Vince, that I don't know who in their right mind is going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's kind of funny that you think about Jeff Saturday's tour as the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, where he goes 1-7, but the first win came in his first game, and then the second game he nearly had that same Eagles team beat at Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, they had Jalen Hurts on the ropes before what was a great comeback and that touchdown at the end, and they escaped with the win. But, Vince, I I don't know who is going to take down Jalen Hurts, and that's a massive story, by the way. We talked about the 49ers earlier. If Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, comes in, Mm -hmm. who would have even thought that he would be the quarterback of this team at any point with Garoppolo and and Trey Lance, but now it's Brock Purdy going up against Jalen Hurts, who has become a prolific young quarterback in this league. And the flip side of the coin, the late game, Bengals-Chiefs. I mean, Jimmy's team is the Chiefs. He can talk endlessly about Kansas City, but I mean, this could very well be the quarterback matchup we see in the AFC Championship for years and years and years to come. Mm. Burrow versus Mahomes. Who's going to unseed them? That, that'd be my question. Because Burrow and Mahomes seem to have a stranglehold on the AFC right now. If you could pick just one of those two, which Ooh. moving forward, which one would you take? Would you take Burrow or would you take Mahomes? Jimmy, what's your answer? <laughs> you know what my answer? Is. I know what your answer. Is. It, it, it's Patrick yeah. Mahomes, yeah. and it's I. 
I can't say it's not close because it's disrespectful to the type of quarterback Joe Burrow is. But yeah, if you're asking me who I want to start with, it's 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 Patrick Mahomes. Uh, everybody likes to point in the talk radio game about, oh, well, he has all these weapons. What if you take the weapons away? He still has Travis Kelsey, the greatest tight end of all time. But he took Tyree Kill away this year. And the offense, again, I'm not saying it's not. It took a step back in some regard, but from a statistical standpoint, it's as good, if not more efficient than it was in Hill's tenure. Mahomes is about to win his second MVP. Yeah, Kansas City beat Jacksonville 27-20. Cincinnati beat Buffalo 27-10. I really thought the Bengals' win over Buffalo was more impressive than what Kansas City did, and and um, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm I'm leaning towards Cincinnati uh, this weekend. I I know that Kansas City at home is is uh, so tough. It's such an incredible environment. Mahomes is not going to be 100. percent I mean, there's no way with that sprained ankle that he's going to be 100. percent I, I I think Cincinnati's got a real shot there. Philadelphia, and I don't know what you thought, but I, I'm not sure. And Philadelphia is so good. I mean, I don't think they've got any weaknesses. I, and you look at their positions, 1 through 11, offensively and defensively, so good. But 38-7 to 7 over the Giants. The Giants were bad. And I don't think the Giants were as good as they looked against Minnesota. I think they they beat a Minnesota team that was decent. But I think that the Eagles' win over the Giants looked really convincing in some way, shape, or form because the Giants just weren't as good. So that Eagles, it, they look dominant. Yeah. But I, I'm almost more impressed with the San Francisco win over Dallas. It was something. The, the game plan, and this is why, Vince, I personally have been on the D'Amico Ryans train for the next head coach of the Colts. And I don't have a problem. If they go out and they hire an offensive guy, I'm cool. But the game plan that Ryan's put up to completely shut down, again, a Dallas offense that was without Tony Pollard early because he broke his leg, I get it. But he made Kellen Moore look silly at times, calling plays for Dallas. I think Ryan's is the best young defensive coordinator in the game, and if he gets an interview in Indianapolis, I really hope they don't let him leave the building just because of what San Francisco has done this year, all those prolific offensive weapons, but their defense in a way, has been what has got them here most. Yeah, and uh, D'Amico Ryan's not a, available to interview for the Colts head coaching job until Monday, and he is so impressive as the defensive coordinator for San Francisco. I, you know, Jimmy Johnson, the uh, former Cowboys coach, said one time, he said, you know, you win more games by not making mistakes than you do by making great plays. And I think that what we've seen from Brock Purdy in that, especially in that Dallas game, he didn't make any mistake. He didn't turn it over, didn't fumble, didn't throw interceptions, may not have been uh, as dynamic as Burrow or uh, Mahomes, but Dak Prescott threw two big picks Yeah, and the Cowboys lost and Purdy didn't throw those picks and the Niners won. And I think that's going to be the key as they go to uh, Philadelphia this weekend is can Purdy go there and avoid the miscues against that Philadelphia defense, which is so good. And if Purdy can avoid that, I think they've got a real chance. But if they can force him into looking like a rookie, which amazingly he has not throughout the course of 
his opportunities this season, then then I think Philadelphia is going to win the game. But if San Francisco's opportunity comes if they go take care of the football and don't beat themselves. Vince, here's why the Philadelphia story gives me a little hope at least around here, especially who they're interviewing. We've talked a lot about Mike Kafka at 1230 with Dan Duggan from The Athletic and whether or not Kafka is actually the igniter of that offense or it's just because Brian Dable has done what he has done with Daniel Jones and Kafka has kind of been the beneficiary. Well, Nick Sirianni is a great example of that because Nick Sirianni was the offensive coordinator here in Indianapolis, of course, but he was sort of in the grouping of Marcus Brady where – He was the glorified offensive coordinator because Frank Reich did everything offensively, play calling, situations, I mean, making the end-all, be-all decisions. Well, you know, Marcus Brady got the short end of the stick here, but Nick Sirianni got a head coaching job, and a lot of people were like, well, why is he getting a head coaching job right now when he has just kind of been Frank Reich's number two? Well, now you're seeing why he got a head coaching job. So maybe that makes people feel better around here of if Kafka is a guy or whatever offensive coordinator that's already working under an offensive head coach. Sirian is a great example of that, where he wasn't a decision maker. He wasn't calling the plays, but look what he's doing now in Philly. Be it, he has a great quarterback. A.J. Brown's a terrific wide receiver. He's brought Miles Sanders back to life, but it's he's making it work. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I personally, I as much as I like D'Amico Ryan's, I, I would if I were the Colts, um, and we'll talk with Mike Chapel coming up just after two o'clock. You know, seven of the eight head coaches going into this past weekend's playoffs were offensive guys, and I don't think that's by mistake or happenstance. Uh, I think it's it's an offensive it's an offensive league. Uh, you, as a defender, you can hardly touch the receivers. You can't touch the quarterback. Uh, it's set up to score points, and it's set up for the offense to succeed. I think you've got to have an offensive-minded head coach, and, and here's one of the reasons why, and we talked about this a little bit uh, off-air a few minutes ago, but if you are a defensive-minded head coach, you've got to hire that offensive coordinator, right, that's the alpha of the offense. And if you have a great offensive season, somebody's going to come and pluck him away for their mm-hmm. head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are, and then you got to reset with the offense again, and those guys aren't as easy to get as you might think. If you've got an offensive-minded head coach, he is the one that's going to have his thumbprint on the offense, even with a significant offensive coordinator. And if that offensive coordinator happens to get plucked away, you still have that uh, that head coach with the offensive mindset that that really is kind of setting the way you want your team to play offensively. So unless there's a defensive coach that just comes in and blows your socks off, I almost be not almost, I would be surprised if the Colts went the defensive route. But if there's a guy that comes in and just blows you away, I I think you regardless of which side of the ball or special teams even for that matter, uh, you got to give, you know, I, I, I liked that about Ballard. In Ballard's press conference, he said, you know, you, you've got an idea of which direction you're headed, but you got to throw the net out there and it's got to be a wide look because mm-hmm. you don't want somebody slipping through the cracks. And I liked that. You know, you got to you got to study them all just to make sure you haven't missed one, even if you're pretty confident, you know, the guy you want. And uh, I liked that about what he said in the press conference that day. And I think that's why you're seeing this wide range of uh, interviewees as the Colts look for their next head coach. 
That's Vince Welch. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. Coming up top of the hour, Mike Chappell will be with us to break down everything from the Colts head coaching search. Again, we talked with Dan Duggan from the New York Giants athletic side. And Dan talked a whole lot about Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale and their interviews in Indianapolis. Who might be coming up? Chappie will be sure to tell us. We'll come back, preview that interview with Chap as well. David Eha from the Ball State Cardinals basketball radio network will jump on at 2.30. It's Ball State and Buffalo tonight. Few games coming from around the state of Indiana. BK, Vince, and Jay Cook back next on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Great to have you with us today. Brandon King, Jimmy Cook, I'm Vince Welch. And good to have an opportunity to sit here and uh, talk sports with you uh, over the uh, next couple of days. Uh, Hopefully tomorrow. I mean, I guess the weather is supposed to be kind of nasty tomorrow. It's going to snow a little uh, bit. We'll be here on your radio uh, talking sports with you while you're thinking, man, I should have stayed home today. Um, Nothing we talk, we're not used to. Yeah. I mean, it's winter, right? Yeah. I mean, it's winter in Indiana. We get snow. But I was it's funny. I was just talking with somebody um, over the weekend that they were asking about. They were out from Idaho, actually. And they were saying, well, what's the weather like in Indianapolis? And we said, well, we used to get a lot more snow than we do now. But we've only really gotten kind of one little snowfall so far this winter. And then, boom, here we are. Now we, we're looking at, what, seven inches or so they're talking about maybe tomorrow. You ever been to Idaho? I never have, but uh, my son got married this weekend. Yeah, married a girl from Idaho. Oh, there so you go. Uh, Boise, he, boy, uh, in that area. That's where I started my career. That's yeah. my first gig. Yeah. So um, her family, of course, at the wedding, uh, all from Idaho, and um, just had an opportunity to talk a lot about the um, uh, the landscape there and, and the terrain and so forth. My son has been there to visit and uh, multiple times says it's just absolutely beautiful. I have not been, my wife and I have not been to Idaho, but we definitely had that conversation about we want to make that trip out there and and see that part of the country where it's just, you know, it's open, the sky is huge, and uh, mm-hmm. just it just sounds like a great place to visit. I was the announcer for a rookie ball club out there for the Rockies my first summer after college, and it was awesome because that league, it's like Boise, Spokane, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, some cool cities, yeah. and, but the sun doesn't set out there in the peak of summer until like 9.45 p.m. So you're in the eighth inning. You're like, it's still sunny and and warm. Uh, All right, so your son got married. What's the key to a great wedding dad speech for you? Mm, um, You know, I think Any tears? uh, No. No tears? And and I'm an emotional person, so my daughter got married in June, and I had that pretty much worked out. I mean, I I knew exactly what I wanted to say because I didn't want to be going off the cuff because then I think that's when it's uh, you're likely to get most emotional. So I would say the key would be to have a plan, you know, to, to you know, like any you go into the game, you got to get you got to have prep. a game plan yeah. and you got to know what you want to do and what you want to say and the points you want to hit. And I would keep it uh, shorter rather than longer, because uh, the longer it goes, people are you know more likely to, uh, especially in this day and age, kind of tune out of that. But um 
you know, and I got asked a lot about, is it different when your son gets married versus your daughter getting married? My daughter got married in June. My son got married uh, this weekend. And I didn't really feel a big difference. I don't know if other dads out there feel differently. You would think that, uh, you know, it's your daughter. You might maybe feel differently about it. But um, I was just so happy for him. You know, you're just so happy that they found their one, you know, and they're good people. And um my daughter married into a good family. My son married into a good family. And and I think ultimately, you know, that's all you can hope for is that the people around them are, are good people. You know, it's pretty cool, though. Wedding you prefer. Would you rather have a band or a DJ? Because um, people are on two sides yeah. of the aisle there. You're either one or the other. You know, one of the biggest arguments my wife and I ever had uh, was about that topic. I wanted live band, she wanted DJ, and uh, guess which one we did? DJ. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, What'd uh, you do, Jimmy? We did DJ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's uh, the live band is is cool, but man, they better be good. Got to be good. And and I, I got to say that uh, both of our uh, weddings uh, over the summer, my daughter's and my son's this past weekend, a live band, I think it would have been too much to ask for them to have done what the DJ did in regards mm. to the wide range of music. And, um, I, you know, if you've got that really good band, okay. But uh, And the DJ can sometimes make it about him right. or her. Right. Can't have that. No. But you got to lay the ground rules to begin. It's not your wedding. It's, you know, uh, so you're not the star We're here. paying you for a reason. Play the music. Get them on the dance floor. Have a good time. But don't be, uh, you know, inserting yourself into the star category. There's only two stars. That's him and her. <laughs> That's Vince Welch. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. Coming up next, we'll get back to the Mower Shop in Fisher's Hotline and the Colts conversation with the great Mike Chappell. Chappie is with us next on The Fan. Oh, Bob Seeger. I love that. One of the great, uh, you know, back in the day, I say, you know, uh, went to a lot of concerts. Bob Seeger at the old Market Square Arena. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is. Killed it. This is Mike Chappell's entrance music. Oh, well, so. uh, Bob Seeger in. If you've ever had a, if you ever had an opportunity to see Bob Seeger in the Silver Bullet Band back in the day, uh, they put on. Uh, just a hell of a show at, at uh, Market Square Arena. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And back then, you could get a concert ticket for like nine ninety nine. Mm. I mean, I, and you go in and see these uh, you know iconic music acts. And unfortunately, they're uh, they're older, and you don't see them around anymore. And uh, of course, everybody gets older. But uh, man, uh, Bob Seger put on a. Sh- I saw him multiple times, and just every time killed it. Is it actually true that Elvis's last show was at Market Square Arena? I was there, 1976. So that's a thing. That's... Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it was, I believe, June 26th of 77. Wow. Market Square Arena. I didn't know if that was like an urban legend that no. people just say, but no. There My it mom is. was a huge Elvis fan, and uh, I mean, just f- fanatical, um, and uh, took. My friend and I, her and her friend, took um, me and her son, uh, Tim, uh, to the concert. And, you know, of course, at that time, you you know that, or at least they knew he wasn't in his prime, but you had no idea that it could have possibly been his last show. But uh, if you haven't seen the uh, the movie Elvis, I encourage you very to do good. that. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, very good. In fact, I think it just won like a Golden Globe or mm-hmm. something for... Um, for the guy that uh, portrayed Elvis, right? Yeah. And then, of course, Lisa Marie Elvis's daughter just passed away recently. Uh, do we have Chap? We do. Mike Chappell, uh, 
Segwaying from Elvis to the king of the Colts, the guy who has uh, covered the Colts for, Mike, has it been like 40 years? Well, since 84, do the math. Wow. I mean, my Ball State math doesn't work for me all the time, but yeah, yeah it's 84. Yeah, I'm a Ball Stater too, so I have to take my shoes off usually when I get above about 10. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm curious about this, and we had a little bit of this conversation with Denary from a broad, as a broadcaster. I'm, I'm curious about the media side of because I, I don't think people really understand what goes into being a beat reporter but in that course of time what's been the biggest change as a reporter and how you cover the team whether it's access or tools or things you can or can't do or people you can or can't in regards to how you have covered the team all these years well i guess you'd say tools and as the internet yeah I mean, yeah. in the past, you know, what you had as information is what you had, whether it was from agents or players or someone with the team. And that was something that you took time and and really worked on. Now, you still do that. I mean, you still do that. But you didn't have 10 different people with blogs who who have sources that only they know who the, who the hell they are. And it, it you, so so that you're flooded with information, you know, brush fire, brush fires. When I was at the started, you know, the sports server would say, "Hey, I heard this." I said, well, "Where'd you hear that?" He said, "Well, I saw it posted." And so, so you spent so much time chasing things and putting out fires, and maybe one out of ten things were right. So th- that's what I've always said about the, to me the internet is the good and the bad. Is the good is it's, it's immediate. There's an immediate exchange of information, and and right now, and the bad thing is it, it happens right now, and it seems like we're not as concerned about accuracy, and and also accountability. If, if you're wrong, they people, those people move on to the next topic. So that that's the main thing because you still do, you still do your work. You still, I, I'm I'm sort of past the part where I text you know 20 agents and all that i I just they wore me down but that's what you do you've got your own sources you trust them and you honor them when they tell you something either on the record off the record you you trust them or they're no longer they no longer work with you so but the internet and and the immediacy and how think it's, it's funny someone who just happens to have a blog they'll report that well, you know, we hear the Colts are going to hire, bring back Tony Dungy as a coach, whatever, whatever you want to say. And then all it takes is somebody else to say, well, it's been reported that. Yeah. Well, no, it's not been reported. Yeah. It was just, it was thrown out there. Yeah. So then they take on a life of their own. And that's where people really, really need to be careful about what's been reported and what's been thrown against the wall. And the really good reporters do that. And the lazy ones are the ones that aren't so good. They just take it and run with it. And it just, it just mucks up the work. It works. At what point, and I don't know if there was a particular if there was a particular move or transaction that, that this changed, but but you'll relate to, to this, of when it changed from being most important to be right to being most important to be first. Right or wrong, be question. damned. You know that, that that's the, that's a good question. I don't know, and anyone who says, you know, if if I'm first with five things, and I had two of them right, 
that's not you know. Yeah, that'll get you in the Baseball Hall of Fame with your batting <laughs> average, but that's just not good enough. You just can't be first to be first, and you're wrong. It just doesn't work. And if you do it often enough, then you know people, you know, establish myself, the guys at the Star and the Athletic and ESPN and, and all the other, I say reputable, but but established media sites. You, you understand who you can trust and who you can't trust. When I see things, you know, th- there are certain people I, I read on the Internet, and you, you can't, you know, I, I, I've used sources as well because they, the guy doesn't want his name used. But when I see some guys use sources, I don't trust them. Mm. And a lot of guys I see use sources, I say, you know, this guy's really respected. He, he, he does his work, and he doesn't just throw stuff against the wall. So you really have to, to, to consider the source of, of people using sources. But, again, it's just too easy now to have a voice. And and you have the hot take, you know, that, that everyone wants, wants to have now. And, you know, if you say that, you know, you put out there that sources tell me the coach are going to hire Dan Quinn as a head coach. And they're not even – they're not there yet. Well, then if it happens to be Dan Quinn, you say, see, I had it. I had mm-hmm. it first. Mm-hmm. And just just because you threw on the wall, and that, that that's my problem. Yeah. And it, it's easy to do that, and you never hear that guy say when he was wrong for the tenth time. Mm. Well, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. So it, that that that's the biggest yeah, problem times. I've got, and, and it's only going to get worse. <laughs> yeah, times have changed. That's for sure. Um, last year, the first coaching hire came, I think, what, like the 27th of January, the Bears hiring Eberflus, is that right? So, I mean, where are we? So. Where are we? Is is the Colts hire coming sooner rather than later or not? I say later rather than sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ballard told us mid-February, which I, I think that that is probably a good time frame. Uh, they've had, I, I think they're done with the first round in, in, unless they wait for D'Amico Ryan's they can't talk to him until uh, the Niners are done with this this weekend's game, uh, and then then they're going to pare it down. Maybe they pare it down this week, five six. You know, to, to have more than five or six in the second round to me doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. I would I would like to think that by then, after talking to thirteen or fourteen people, I guess thirteen whatever it is, uh, I would think you'd got you'd have a really good idea of who that guy is and how you want to proceed. The one thing that Chris Ballard mentioned last month when we talked to him is you go, you go in with an open mind because if you go in with a certain type or person that you're looking for, sometimes you miss a really good candidate that, that, that just surprised you. So I, I think they, they come down to a five or six, you know, second round. And then that, that's when, when the owner gets involved. Are and, the and, – Oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No, no, you you go ahead. I, I was going to say when the are are all these interviews done in person? Most of these, to my knowledge, have been virtual. Man, time. Well, you talk about times have changed, right? I mean, you know, I mean, nowadays we used to think, oh, we we couldn't work from home, and now nobody wants right. to go to the office. Well, I, I think you do the you, the, the, the second interview's got to be in person, though, right? If you oh, bring them back no, no for a question. second. That, Right, and that's why it, it probably logistics doesn't make much sense to try to bring to, to bring those these guys in because these guys are also talking to other teams. Yeah, whether it's Callahan or Urban or uh, uh, Dan Quinn or whomever it is. 
so yeah, but when you get to the second stage, it needs to be face to face. And again, that's when I think the owner gets involved. And keep in mind that Ballard does all the heavy lifting and the leg work, and will have serious input. And then the owner makes the final decision. So, but yeah, it, 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 that's why I say it's going to be another, I think, couple of weeks. And if your guy that you want is a coordinator in the Super Bowl, then you wait. So, so these, it, so this it, first it, round of interviews, Mike, if they're being done virtually, uh, who's who's on? Do you think Ursay is on those Zooms as I well don't as? Think so yeah, I think I'm sure it's Ballard. Now, whether he's got a few of his assistants, personnel people, Ed Dodds, whomever, perhaps. Uh, and and again, they, they record these, so then I'm sure that they can look back and and, and evaluate, or or the owner can can kind of see what's going on. Uh, but, but but this is again, and this is uh, I saw Zach Kiefer wrote that this is the most a team has has interviewed candidates in the last three or four years, which is fine. There, there's no hurry to, to do it uh, as long as the guy that you want doesn't sign somewhere else, and we've not had that yet. It's it's like everybody's waiting for Sean Payton to, to pick where he wants to go, but but it, it, it's it, it's I think what's awkward. I think this is the first year where we've had coordinators have talked before the division games. Yeah. You know, and boy, can you, can you imagine if you talk to a coordinator and then his, his, his team and his side of the ball just stinks, mm-hmm. stinks. Yeah. And they say, well, you know, if you hadn't been so concerned about talking to the Colts, maybe you guys would have done better in, in your game. Yeah. But the flip side is they wanted these guys to have a chance to be, you know, in the thick of the process and not have jobs dry up before they have a chance to really be a candidate. So I see both sides, but it really puts these coordinators in a very awkward position. I, If I was a head coach, uh, I wouldn't want my coordinators interviewing for another job until we're done. I mean, it just opens yourself up to too much uh, criticism, and whether it, or not it makes a difference or not, it just the perception of it and what it opens you up to, uh, I wouldn't want that headache. Even though these guys are very, they're very able to, to to time manage and all that stuff. You're right. It's just that's whatever you do is time away from not what you should be doing. Uh, but at the same time, these guys are looking for that next for that first big job, unless you've been a coach before. So you want to give him every chance, but it it just it gives you it gives you the opportunity to really mess it up, hmm. and, and and then have something slip through the cracks or whatever or. Not really be impacted by the interview, but you just your team plays bad. It just looks bad. Chap, I know quite the wide net has been cast in this coaching search, and the hot thing now in the league, of course, is to go after the young coordinator or the young guy. But do you get a sense that this team, at least in the spot they're in right now, can really use somebody with some experience? Yeah, and I've talked to a few people, and they ideally they'd like. A, a, a guy who's been there and done that, uh, even though it's going to be a guy that that was fired before, obviously. Yeah. But with the idea that that they'll have a good opportunity to learn from what they did wrong, and, and build on what they did right. Uh, but at the same time, you've got these. Let's say they get a Dan Quinn because he's he was with the Falcons for five years, I think it was two playoffs, and and then the the flame out when he got fired. But if he, if it's a defensive guy, 
he sure better have a strong offensive staff, like lined up as much as you can, because this, this wherever this team goes moving forward, it'll go as far as the quarterback goes. Whoever they, they they get in the April draft, he's he's got to be the focal point. So, if it's Dan Quinn, who's your coordinator? Who's your who's your quarterback coach? And the problem is, you're not going to get Bill or Brian Callahan from Cincy or, or Steichen from Philly or whatever because you know they got jobs. So I that's why I I favor an offensive guy because you know you're getting a guy who's done it. You know, in his specialty, and done it at a high level. The 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 warning I always have for people is is keep in mind that that Steichen's not bringing Jalen Hurts or AJ Brown. He's you know, and Callahan's not bringing Joe Burrow and all these great receivers. So you, you've got to make sure that, you, that you're as a team you're convinced that this guy, as great as he's been working in Cincy with with that great offense and all those skill players can do the job with with, with not that mm. not have with a young quarterback with, with a, a supporting cast you're going to have to build around but I would still rather have a guy that that has shown he can work with a young quarterback as opposed to a head coach who has a defensive background and hey trust me I, I'll bring in people to work with the offense that would make me a little bit nervous that's why I I kind of lean towards a young offensive mind but we'll see kind of what chris ballard and, and, and how jim mercy want to do this yeah we talked about that a little bit earlier too and i think that when you if you do bring in a defensive coach and your offensive coordinator has success then immediately he's going to be a candidate for a, the next head coaching vacancy and then right. you're starting over again and uh if whereas if you've got an offensive head coach you know he's got his thumbprint on the offense regardless of whether the coordinator stays or goes. Um, so I, I agree. And that, especially it's such an offensive league now. Um, you, If you don't have your offense in tune, uh, you're not going anywhere. I, I wrote something earlier in, in the week about the, the the head coaching search and the quarterback search. And I, I tell you, somebody can maybe talk me off the island, but to me it is so much more important to get the quarterback right. Mm. Than the head coach. Let's say you bring in a head coach and he just doesn't work. Okay, you fire him and you move on in two years. Boy, the, the quarterback, you're, you're sort of tied to this guy for four or five years. Not necessarily the guy. If, if he doesn't work, okay, fine, you get rid of him. And, but then you're back in searching for the next quarterback. And we've seen how hard it is to get that guy. It's got to be the right time, the right place. You know, you you got to be bad and be top of the draft. There's every quarterback's there. I just think that getting the quarterback right is so important, and and that's why you know, yes, the coach is important, yes, but boy, if if you if you get the right coach and the quarterback is Jamarcus Russell, I just don't know where mm. you go as a franchise. And we we had that conversation too, Mike. I I think that uh, you know. It not only, it, I mean, it can set you back. I mean, it will set you back. If if in five years you decide, okay, I'm going to cut bait and get rid of this guy. Okay, now I got to find another quarterback. But you also just wasted a top five pick in the draft when you could have gotten an offensive lineman or an edge rusher or, you know, that number one wide receiver. I mean, it, it not just hurts you at the quarterback position, it hurts you where you could have also drafted maybe. Uh, a guy that could be the cornerstone of your offensive line for the next 10 years or whatever the well, case may I'll be. 
And on top of that, the rest of your roster is getting yeah. old. Yeah. All of, all of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor's two or three years older, and Michael Pittman. So it, it just and, – and, again, we, we, it, we've seen so much through the years. You, you, you get the guy who you think's the guy, and after three years you say, well, I really don't know. I mean, they're sort of there in New York with the, with the Giants and Daniel Jones. Yeah. They've had five years. And, yes, it, it, it's you've invested so much time – not so much money the way the structures are now, but all everything around him, and then you got to start it over again, mm. and and it's just, it's just hard. We, again, we've seen since Luck retired how hard it is to, to just re, you just don't go out and get a guy. And what's made the Colts situation so worse for the fan base and everybody is you look around and you see Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Herbert and Allen. There have been a few busts in there. There have been a few busts in there, though, too. I mean, the, yeah. the teams but, but are dealing get, with, right? But when you get the guy, you, you know, he can do yeah. – like I mentioned, with, with Luck and with luck and Manning, you know, I, I pointed the game in, in 2003 when the Colts trailed Tampa 35-14 to 14 with five minutes to play. And that quarterback, if, if he's that guy, he gives you a chance to win it. Hmm. Remember Andrew Luck was yeah. down 38-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, that guy can do that. And if you don't have that guy, you better be darn good. You know, but Brock Purdy, well, yeah, he's getting by because he's got the number one defense in the league and and he's got Christian McCaffrey. You know, so if you don't have that quarterback, you better be awfully good everywhere else. Yeah, I think Purdy's done a good job of not beating himself. I mean, you had the yeah. high price. Dak Prescott throws two interceptions. Purdy throws none. And I thought that was really the difference in the game. Do you see, Mike, do you see – that guy in the draft at the quarterback position? Because I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I'm skeptical. I, yeah, I, I don't think we. there's another – no one's even actually thinking there's a, even a Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And, and, and he was considered in that Manning-Andrew uh, Luck level. No, I, I don't. I don't see a Joe Burrow. But you, you don't have to have – It'd be great to have that guy, but you can win at a high level with a really good quarterback, not a great quarterback. And that's what they have to do. They have to get the right guy who is a legitimate quarterback, a legitimate NFL quarterback who can make the plays. And hey, if he turns into something more, remember Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so as long as you as long as you don't whiff, as long as you got a guy that that's legit can play at a high level and occasionally make the great plays and win your games fine. Because I'm one of those that believes this roster isn't as awful as some people think. I think I think there's good pieces in place if they can get into the line to play better or back to their level and all. They've got some good pieces. But until you get that the quarterback, it, it's, just, it's just too hard to win without that guy. And and you said you don't see that guy in the quarterback uh, group this year. So do you? But do you see any way, shape, or form? And just hypothetically speaking, say the Colts are going to stay at number four and not move. Do you see any way at all that they would not take a quarterback at number four? Boy, they need to explain what they're doing. Well, we would know because by the draft, if that's if they're sitting there today saying there's not a guy worth it. And we're going to take a, a pass rusher, a left tackle. We will we'll know because they will they will have signed a free agent quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, then here we go again. Mm-hmm. Marcus Mariota or Derek Carr or, or whomever. Okay, trade for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. But 
because you can't wait till the draft to do that. I just, I no, I don't see how they they do that. They've tried recycling and it doesn't work. It worked one year with Philip Rivers. Uh, wasn't great, but was good. They have. I know how badly the owner is committed to drafting and developing and, and doing it that way. I would be. I would be so shocked if come draft time they sit there at four. I don't think they sit there at four. I think that they've got to move up uh, to get a quarterback because you know three quarterbacks should go to the top three because people below you need quarterbacks. Atlanta, Carolina. Uh, but they, they, they can't keep doing this. They know they can't keep doing this. So I think they move up to probably probably the one and get the guy they want. And then if it doesn't work, you say, man, we, 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 we swung for the fences and it didn't work, but doggone it, at least we tried. I, I would be beyond shocked if they sat at four and took the best, the best player and he's a tackle or, or a pass rusher. Chap, last thing for me, just back to the coaching front. The great unknown in all of this seems to be Jeff Saturday and what they have in mind with him interview-wise. But like, if they choose to pursue that and they bring back Saturday with Ballard at GM, how do they sell that to the fan base? Oh, they can't. They can't. Uh, and again, that's to, that's not saying that he he he, he may not be uh, he he could be the coach. I, I I've not ruled that out at all. Uh, I think when they, if 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 they reveal who their final five or six are, I believe he'll get a second interview. I, I believe that. I, I think Jim Mercer truly believes in Jeff Saturday, and he wants to know how he would operate starting from ground zero in, well, in, in February or, or end of January, to where this is his team, his organization. But I, I for the life of me, I. And I, I'm a great BSer. I can write, I can BS things. I don't know how I could sell that to the fan base. I really don't, because all you can do is sell what you've got. And as as much as Jeff might be the answer if he's given the chance to start from scratch, you still have to say, but th- th- this is what you did in, in an awful situation. I mean, it was an awful situation when he came in here. But that's still that's still your resume, and yeah, they made they made you know minor improvements in a few places. But I, I just don't know how they can sit there when the day they announced that and say Jeff's our head coach, and this is why. I mean, I I don't know how they would do that, and however they spun it, fan base ain't gonna buy it. Won't buy it. And now, if that's important to the owner. Then he won't do it. But but if the owner really believes that Jeff's the right guy, he's going to go with Jeff Saturday. He will, and then and then Jeff's staff will really really be important, offense, defense, and all that. But I personally, I don't. I, I I'd hate to have the have Jim Irsay come to me and say, you know, I'm going to hire Jeff Saturday, and and I want you to write the speech on why hmm. I should do it. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know that I could do that with a straight face. I really don't. And right. I, and I like Jeff from here to tomorrow, but I. In this situation, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, great drama. Yeah, it's great drama, and you you can't script it. I mean, it's uh, it's such a hugely important time for this franchise. Yep. Mike, appreciate your insight. You're the uh, absolute best. I, I'd love to have you on sometime and just talk about what it's like to be. We're up against it here, but just people don't understand the hours 
and the commitment to be a beat reporter. It's the I think the hardest job in in our business, and I don't think there's anybody that's done it better than you. You've been um, you're you've been the best. I appreciate you, and I appreciate uh, you having you. Yeah. Give me a call sometime. We'll make it work. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Ed. Be that's, well. Thanks, Chap. Mike Chapel and uh, the Motor Shop and the Motorshop dot com and. Good stuff. Uh, along with Brandon King, I'm Vince Welch and Jimmy Cook. This is 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Oh, uh, hey, uh, Vince Welch and uh, Brandon King with you. We're going to have uh, Dave Ehaw talk about Ball State here in just a moment. Ball State at home tonight against uh, Buffalo. Uh, you know, we talked earlier, you guys were asking me about um, uh, my son got married over the weekend, daughter got married in June, and you were asking band or uh, live band or DJ. And I'd mentioned that it was a big uh, it was a big argument for when my wife and I got married 32 years ago. Because I wanted the, uh, I wanted the the DJ, and she wanted the band, and we had a big argument about it. And she's from Northern Indiana farm community, and square dancing at the weddings is a big deal. So she texted me to say, "Hey, you need to clarify, you know what's up." You know, she wasn't just being an unreasonable person, whereas you might think that that was the case. <laughs> Never, uh, but. And, of course, the live band plays the the square dancing music. And if you're from a farm community, you know that the live band does the square dancing music so much better than any kind of DJ ever could. And uh, as always, with every other decision and argument we've ever made, she was right. And it worked out just fine. And here we are 32 years later. I thought you were giving a thumbs up because he said the wife's always right. And Jimmy was like, (laughs) I agree. I agree, Vince. It's just the way it is. Both are true. (laughs) Yeah. And if they're not, you should still make them believe they are. And you just take it and and go on. And see, I was a very slow learner at that uh, that skill and uh, eventually learned, but very slow. (laughs) <laughs> Very slow learner. But uh, we've survived it so far, and um, 32 years of bliss. It's a pretty good accomplishment. It's pretty good. Think, you know, 32 years. Pretty good. Whew. Man, she's a saint. Got to <laughs> tell you that. Uh, let's say hi to David Ehaw, and longtime friend and a member of the uh, broadcast team for Ball State and on the radio side and also does some television. Are you radio or TV tonight, E? I am on TV tonight, Vince. Ooh, you got the Dave's got a uh, shiny bald head. Do you have to? Do you put uh, a little makeup on that to dull down the shine, or how do you work that? I, I learn from the best, Vince. I mean, you taught me well, so you know I keep my little kid handy, and uh, you know I, my wife does it before I leave, and then I brush up uh, right before the game. So you taught me well. Vince. <laughs> Well, you do a terrific job. And who are you working with uh, tonight? Uh, Rick Johnston uh, oh, okay. is on the play-by-play yeah. tonight. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I know Rick, and uh, that should be a good watch. Uh, Ball State and Buffalo. And before we dive into the game, I want to talk a little bit about Michael Lewis and uh, kind of the culture that he's trying to establish there as a first-year head coach. And one of the things that he's been doing for these home games is if you are a student and you come to the game, you get some sort of freebie, right? Yeah, how great is that, right? Free <laughs> I mean, beer yeah. for the first 400 students. Yeah, nothing I mean, gets you out of the dorm like that. that. Doesn't bring them out. Right, yeah. exactly. And 
with an opponent missing two free throws, they walk out of there with free tater tots. So free food, free beer, you can't beat it. Uh, but, yeah, Coach Lewis has really done a great job of, of promoting – uh, the basketball program. He's generated a ton of excitement. And uh, uh, a couple couple games ago, we have 5,000 at Worthen, which is, uh, I think, the largest cloud since 2018. So he's really done a great job of, of promoting the team and, and uh, certainly a lot of excitement in Muncie. So generating excitement, getting fans in the stands, the students there, et cetera, is all well and good. But if you don't put a product on the floor uh, that's going to win games, it doesn't really matter. So how has he uh, taken the program forward in that regard? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Vince. I mean, and he's done that, right? They've won nine of their last 11, eight and zero at home. And I guess a couple things. One is, you know, he, he's, he's got a good nucleus and it starts with recruiting. I mean, uh, the best thing he did was to pull Peyton Sparks, Jalen Sellers, and Bashir Jihad out of the transfer portal. Um, when he got the job, um, there were three freshmen, those guys I mentioned, that played a ton of minutes uh, that went in the portal. And getting those three to come back in the fold and then bringing Jerron Coleman back as kind of a boomerang transfer um, really set the table. And, you know, so he's, he's, he's got the players – and I think what he's brought, Vince, is a level of toughness that matches his personality. You know, when he came in, one of the things he said is, look, this team has been in a lot of close games at the four-minute mark, but never found a way to get over the hump. So we're going to preach and teach winning. And to do that, you got to be tough. And it's definitely taken on his personality. There's accountability. Hey, you don't play defense, you're going to sit on the bench. You want to take bad shots, you're going to sit on the bench. So they're playing good, fundamental, disciplined basketball, and it's translating into Ws. Yeah, I had the opportunity, um, thanks to my friend John O'Donnell, to sit courtside at the game a week or so ago. And Michael Lewis's intensity as a coach, I thought was uh, really, it mirrored his intensity as a player. You know, I mean, he was... He kind of an old school guy, get after it, dive on the floor, D up, talk a little smack, had game to back it up. And he coaches the same way. And man, if you don't play hard for him, uh, you know, you better play harder than he's coaching. And that's a, that's a pretty tall task. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, the word I like to use and people ask is accountability. You know, he's holding these guys accountable. But yes, I mean, he is old school. And I think, Vince, that the good players – still want to be coached and you can go down the line whether it's a, an Izzo or a Bob Huggins or Mick Cronin those guys will coach you hard they love them hard off the floor but they tell the truth and they hold guys accountable and Michael Lewis fits that mold and his guys play hard and he's going to tell it like it is man there's no sugarcoating it and uh, it's not for everybody uh, but I can tell you that the guys on the team appreciate his passion and and I think it's fun, man. It's fun to watch. It's fun interviewing him after the game. And uh, if you ever go to a practice, he's got a little bit of Rick Majerus in him. I mean, there's there's some comedy mixed in, but uh, I think he's in his first year, you know, 20 years as an assistant coach to come in and, and do what he's done and have this team in a position to compete for a MAC title is, uh, is pretty cool. 
Hey, Dave, it's Brendan. Vince and I were talking about the depth of conferences across the country earlier and really how in a lot of conferences in college basketball, there are no easy games. So just your thoughts on watching the MAC as a whole this year and the depth of that conference and how tough it is to win. Yeah, it really is. I mean, especially at the top, Brendan, and, and it really starts with Kent State. And I've watched them on film. I got a chance to see them firsthand last week. And they are a legit NCAA tournament team. I mean, their only three losses are to Gonzaga, Houston, and Charleston, teams in the top 20. And, you know, to me, it's going to bring up an interesting point, right? If they run the table in the MAC 17 and 1 or 16 and 2 in the league and somehow get knocked off. Are they going to get an at-large bid? It's been since 1999 since the MAC has got two teams in, and and let me tell you, Kent, I think is deserving, and and they can definitely go and win games. But you know, when you look at the one thing that jumps out at me, if you take the top five teams in the league, they are 41 and three at home. Wow. And so you know that whole adage, right? You can protect your home court steal some on the road that has never been more true than with the Mac this year. I mean, it is incredibly tough to get road wins and you got to protect your home court. And, uh, you know, anything can happen when you get to a neutral site, certainly uh, Toledo after ball state took him to him. I think uh, Todd Kowalczyk is kind of, Laid into those guys. They're starting to play better basketball. Akron, who went to the tournament last year, uh, is at the top. And then the Cards opponent tonight, Buffalo. Uh, there, there's a team that lost all five starters, but they are as talented, as athletic, as long as they come in the league. They're eight and two at home, zero and five on the road. So uh, tonight, I think is going to be a good t- test for the Cards to, to see if they can bounce back after that. Uh, after that whipping at Kent State. Well, you have to win this game if you're Ball State, don't you? I mean, against a Buffalo team that, uh, as you said, is, uh, what, winless on the road? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's no question. I mean, the, and, you know, the way the MAC changed the rules now, only the top eight teams go to the tournament. So it is paramount that you protect the home court, especially since you're going to be going on the road for the next two. So I expect the cars to bounce back, but no question, this is a big one tonight. Hmm, good stuff. David Ehaw will uh, be on the call for Ball State and Buffalo tonight on uh, ESPN+. And uh, just uh, does a fine uh, job. I've known Dave a long time. And um, one thing that I have come to respect is the amount of work um, that he puts in to uh, understand not just the game, because he played the game at the Division One level, but uh, all the rest of the teams in the league. I, I know you. Uh, it's a labor of love, but, man, you do a great job. And appreciate the insight uh, about the league and about the Ball State Cardinals and, and uh, their game tonight against Buffalo. Uh, good stuff and uh, have a good call tonight all right guys i appreciate it thanks vince for the kinds words and uh appreciate you guys having me on thanks dave thanks dave uh back in the day uh dave was uh was a guard on the and we should have had him on here about uh, the mustache that he had Mm. as a player was uh you know quite the look you know, back then, and um, handlebar? Or uh, no, not quite that. But it was uh, like Kurt Rambis. You know, like he could have, you know, been like a movie, a movie guy. 
you know, back then. And uh, straight out of an old western, maybe uh, not a western, yeah. not that, not that genre. If you, Copy. if you're staying with me, Copy. I'm yeah. staying with you. Yeah. And uh, but uh, it's just a super, super good. You know, you think when you're like 19 that the mustache looks really good. Yeah. You know, and it's rare. Well, it mustaches really is rare are, at that age. Mustaches, for some reason, are coming back with like Jimmy and I's generation right now because of the Miles Teller guy from. Uh, what why am I blanket on the movie? Top Gun. Oh, Top okay. Gun. Yeah. 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 He's like the he's like he's the guy that every like girl twenty one to twenty nine has a crush on now and he rocks the mustache. Must, so yeah. that puts pressure on guys like Jimmy and I. Well, because the be beard is the thing, right? Yeah, I mean you're, I, you're, you're I just your generation's can't do it. gotta have the beard. I just can't do it. I'm a clean shaven type guy. So yeah. And Can't the because uh, for a while it was the little mustache with the little goatee soul patch. Uh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of soul patch has gone away. away. Yeah. yeah, and it's the beard. It's the full beard amongst your generation. My yeah. favorite baseball player growing up, Reed Johnson. He was a journeyman outfielder for the Cubs. He had the soul patch look. Yeah. He was able to pull it. Off. There are very few people that can pull off that look. Now I saw you got a uh, you got like an autographed baseball from him at like a Cubs Reed, convention yeah. or something. Right? Yeah, it was awesome. Cubs convention was a couple weeks ago, and I get to go to that working with the organization at the South Bend Cubs. And it was the last day, and I saw, like, oh, he was signing autographs at the I was like, I got to go meet him. He was my favorite player growing up. And it was like 12 year old Cubs fan, yeah. Brendan, just walked out of my body, went up to him and said hi. It's like, man, you're the reason why I fell in love with the Cubs at that age so that is cool how, yeah. and how was that uh how was that interaction oh it was awesome man I mean he was he was as genuine and kind as I could have imagined but it's a great weekend because the Cubs bring obviously the whole roster so Dansby Swanson was there the new guys Hosmer and Jamison Tyone uh Tucker Barnhart was there yeah. I got to interview Tucker which nice. was awesome Brownsburg native but yeah. as well being in South Bend the last few years a lot of guys I know who I get to call my friends now play on the big league club nice. so it's, you're walking up to him. He's like, "Hey, remember doing that interview?" And you know, after you hit the walk-off home run, now we're standing, and he's in the big leagues, yeah. which, which is unreal. So, that is cool. cool. When I was a kid, I loved the Steelers. Because when I was a kid, you know, the Colts weren't here yet. So, um, and I don't even know why I gravitated toward the Steelers. They weren't good yet. In fact, I, I remember um, as a kid, I was a fan when the Immaculate Reception actually happened mm. uh, already. So. Um, uh, dates myself a bit but uh, but Franco was my guy you know yeah and um and of course passed away recently and oddly enough just before they were about to retire his jersey and and honor him uh, at I call three river stadium Heinz field now but but uh so about a year ago I had the opportunity to meet him we were at an event together and, um, you know, you never really know how the people that you looked up to as a yeah. kid, how they're going to be. Because I know plenty of stories where, you know, guys went up to people that were the heroes and they were just a jerk to them. Mm -hmm. You know, didn't didn't, you know, didn't play the game with them of appreciation and mm -hmm. this, that, the other. And um, so I didn't you know, I didn't know. And and uh, but uh, Franco was just the most gracious, nicest you know, friendliest, down-to-earth guy, and and uh, you know, I was uh, had my picture taken with him. C couldn't have been nicer. Mm. And it was kind of a small event, so it was you know, it was it was a not a big deal. But but uh, it's oh, it's always nice when that person that you really look up to 
years later when you get an opportunity as an adult to tell them what they meant to you in your childhood and they're and they're cool about it it's awesome it's an awesome glad you had that experience especially yeah. with franco now after yeah. of course he has passed but that's vince welch i'm brendan king jimmy cook is here he'll come back put a bow on this thing get jimmy's bets for the night again pacers and the bulls coming up at 6 30 on the fan john coming up at about 15 minutes we'll close it next here from the drivehubler.com studio whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Closing things out, Brendan King, Vince Welch. Vince, it's been great to have you in studio. Hey, a lot of fun. Thank you. Jimmy Cook is here, and Jimmy's got his picks. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my this is how I win. Today's plays of the day going to take the Cleveland Cavaliers to one of the money line there at the Garden in New York against the Knicks. Also going to take Illinois on the money line over Ohio State. So, so let me just real quickly, when you say the money line, for those that aren't like gambling aficionados. <laughs> just straight up win. Yeah, just straight so, up win. So Doesn't the Cavs matter. winning at New York against the Knicks. Correct. Okay. And then on the other side of that coin, the other popular bet is a spread bet. So I'm going to lay the Mavericks. I bought this down. It's, I think, six and a half right now. I put it to four. So Mavericks have to win by more than four against the Wizards tonight, laying four there for Dallas. That's and the, where is that game being That played? is uh, in Dallas. In Dallas. Against the Wizards. Uh, last one, another home favorite. Going to take, well, the Cavaliers are on the road, but this is another home favorite, but in the world of college basketball. Going to take Illinois to one of the money line over Ohio State tonight. Two and one yesterday, two and one in the week. Plays on Twitter at the J Cook. Uh, BK, you got anything tonight? I'll take. Give me the over six goals in the Washington Capitals Colorado Avalanche game. That you can get, you could double your money on that bet, which is ridiculous to think about. Considering on one side you have the guy with the second most goals ever, Alex Ovechkin, and you have one of the youngest, most prolific goal scorers in the NHL, Nate McKinnon, on the Colorado side. Over six. Plus one hundred, that's some good value. Hmm. Interesting. That 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 is the segment, Vince. Would well, you Would you like to place a wager on the on your Ball State Cardinals? Can you, know, you do I'm, that? I'm not sure what the line is tonight. I, the money line is for sure. Ball State. Ball State's a favorite. I'm Ball guessing State, by about five. Five and a half. Really? Yeah. Right, so look I'm at just this guy could be a handicapper, Jay. Yeah. Look at yeah. this. I'm uh, I'm taking uh, Ball State and giving five. Yes. If five and a half. What'd you say? Five and a half? Five and a half. Yeah, I'm you, giving that. Ball State's winning that game by more than screw the hook. five and a half points. Screw the hook. Vince ain't scared yeah. of the hook. Yeah. Nobody cares about the hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vince, you're in here tomorrow with yeah. us, right? Yeah. Cool. So it should be fun. Look forward to it. How's Thanks your first for, day? Uh, you even got you got a framed picture of you yourself know, th- back. That's uh, This is a picture that I guess hung on the walls. I'm sure they've had it down for quite some time, but uh, that was... Uh, that was a younger Vince and it's it's refreshing to see the younger Vince because now when I look in the mirror I see the older Vince and I can remember what it was look what it looked like back then mm. like it well right. we are happy to have you Vince we'll look forward to tomorrow as well Eddie Garrison has just invaded the studio and has already erased our show info off the board he is writing what's coming up on the ride with JMV John is next by the way coming up at 6 30 coverage of the Pacers and the Bulls. You'll hear from Pat Boylan, Mark Boylan. Later on, of course, the great Eddie White on the world's greatest postgame show. Jimmy, anything confirmed for tomorrow? Nothing locked in, but I will add we'll one thing. We didn't have the Pacers on the bets list tonight. Until Tyrese comes back, you could probably find prop bets, but the Pacers, for me, on a spread or on a money line purpose are on the do not bet list right now. 
The, pirate, the Pacers are officially. They, they, they're back on it. They got off it for a little bit. They're back on it until they, Tyrese. I comes feel up. like they were on it literally all last year. <laughs> Thanks were. to Vince Welch. Thanks to Jimmy Cook. I'm Brendan King. John is next with the great Eddie Garrison on the fan.